0: Pilot boys in the building, welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I'm Don here with my co-host V.
1: Mama Mentality for Life.
0: Today is July 9th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you can be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We're still quarantined and social distancing due to this pandemic, but we're still going to figure out a way to bring you guys a show at all costs. So please bear with us. But on today's show, we have a very special guest former NFL standout and Super Bowl champion, Lance Moore. He joins us to talk about his long and windy rise to the NFL, how he overcame a lot of different challenges, Black Lives Matter, Drew Brees and his comments, what did he say to Drew Brees after Drew Brees made those comments, (laughs) and so much more. You guys don't want to miss this one. We will also do some news and notes of some popular stories from around the country. We talk about everything from Cam Newton to – 50 Cent versus T.I., Patrick Mahomes' new bag, McCour Maker, the NHL and the NHLPA getting to an agreement, Delane Maxwell, Pop Smoke, and so much more. Remember now that our Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays, a night early. If you want to donate and help keep our show on air, you can subscribe on www.patreon.com forward slash Podcast. Don't forget to grab some wristbands and some face masks at shop.pilotboys.com and be sure to leave us a five star rating and comment on Apple. Let's go. Where the pilot boys at? Uh, uh, let's go. Let's go. Pilot boys, we get on up. to the Pilot Boys podcast, we are here with a very special guest, former NFL standout and Super Bowl champion, Lance Moore. What's up, man? How you doing? i well, good, man. Just uh, going through this new
2: normal that is quarantine. Uh, my my daughters are actually up north with my in laws, so a little bit of peace and quiet around the house. Oh, uh, man. Never heard yeah. never heard anybody, so it's perfect. You know, I'm, sure. I'm not have any. Nobody's running, busting in my my office door today, so. Uh Matt, should
1: be good. Mecca forgot to mention the most important uh, thing on your resume, which is Toledo Rocket.
0: Oh, yeah. It's Toledo Rocket, <laughs> that's sure. right. We're definitely going right. to get to that. We're definitely going to get to that. So let's jump right into it, man. You have a, an awesome story. Obviously, you're, you're from Columbus and went to Westerville South, which was – I went to sales, and, you know, the year we won the state championship, the only team that beat us that year was Westerville South. Um, so, you know, Westerville South has obviously a rich history in football. So talk a little bit about that, just – You know, before we jump into some of your more professional stuff, talk a little bit about your experience in Westerville, growing up in Westerville, and uh, actually football at Westerville South.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I I grew up on the east side of Columbus. Um, Mm -hmm. I was a city kid, um, you know, basically up until high school. I went to Sherwood Middle School, and then I went to Monroe Middle School for eighth grade. Um, And and we moved to Westerville because my mom's sister, um, they lived in Westerville, uh, and and I, our cousins went to Westerville South. So mm-hmm. my mom's like, you know, I, I would love for us to be able to kind of make the move up there and, and you know, safer schools. Uh, mm-hmm. I, would, I think most people would say better schools. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, uh, I would go to Westerville South football games kind of when I was younger, because my cousins went there. I mean, they didn't yeah. play football. Um, But I would, you know, I got to see Andy Katsomoyer play in person. And and, um, even back in the Kajana Carter days, I I would go to a game or two because that was where my family lived. And that was like the big game in town. So I understood kind of the history, Um, you know, the Katsomoyer team went to the state championship, lost against St. Ignatius. But that was Mm -hmm. kind of really the start of um, what will become, you know, modern day Westerville South, which is basically a a division one football factory. Um, right. There's guys that that from all positions, I mean, from mm-hmm. from the linemen um, to to linebackers to, you know, skilled players. And for me, I mean, I, I was a martial artist growing up. Like I, I, I was a karate. I was a karate guy um, yeah. and played a little kid. soccer. I was <laughs> a karate kid. My, my dad actually still owns a dojo um, on the east side of Columbus. Kind of kind of I guess it's more Whitehall now than, than wow. it used to be. Um, but. Yeah, i mean we grew up in the dojo so we were martial artists and and you know we played t-ball and soccer and we did right. gymnastics and football was kind of like the last sport that my younger brother and i were, you know started playing and mm-hmm. it was a sport that we i feel like we loved more because we didn't play it super early i got um to, yeah. and then you know i get to Westerville south and and i had played when i first started playing football i played quarterback and safety and then i got moved to receiver so i played receiver and safety and you know I didn't literally football you don't catch a lot of balls at least back yeah. then Yeah, yeah, yeah now mm-hmm. it's different right yeah. right So I get to Westerville South and I'm like man this is freshman football we're probably not going to be throwing the ball a lot I play running back so I signed up to play running back right. and the very first day of freshman practice we we're doing all the drills and obviously you know you don't everybody's in shorts nobody knows really especially a kid that transferred in nobody knew who I was I, right. this was like my first experience in Westerville school wise because uh, school didn't start for, you know, another couple of weeks. This is camp. So, um, you know, go through the drills. And then the ne- the very next drill after, like, the, the quarterback, running back, ball handling drills was, we're just going to put everybody out of receiver. And we're going to see who can catch these passes. Right. And we all ran one slant: Receivers, tight ends, running backs. <laughs> I was the only one that caught the slant. And, the- wow. and the coach said, yep. Yeah. You play receiver now. i uh, hey wow. took, took my shot away. Took my shot yeah. away. But you should, you should
1: yeah. have dropped it on purpose, man. <laughs> you know, if,
2: if I would have known any better, I I, I probably would have, but I don't know. I don't know if the story ends up the same way. If uh, I don't
3: it you know yeah, get, get out
2: there at receiver and, and, and stay at receiver the rest of the time. You know, had a fun freshman year. I caught one ball the entire year, which mm-hmm. I guess that one ball that I caught in practice is foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, then you know, sophomore year, I played JV. Played in a couple of varsity games, but wasn't, you know, wasn't doing anything regular out there. Yeah. Uh, but junior year, junior year was when I, you know, started and started being a regular guy and got a little bit of um, recognition after the season. Um, yeah. But the se- senior is kind of when it took off. I mean, we, we didn't have a quarterback. You know, this is, this is the 2000 season. Um, I didn't have a quarterback. And, and Coach Pintello, who is a legendary coach in Ohio, he's in the Ohio High School Football Hall of Fame, um, I mean, a, a, a guy that still to this day is, I consider like one of my father figures and mm-hmm. it was always bigger than football with him. Yeah. Um, and I, and I really think he took a liking to, um, obviously the black kids. Yeah. Um, but, but, but specifically the kids that didn't have a lot of money. Cause that's how mm-hmm. he grew up. He he grew up super Italian, no money, kind of right. hustled and grinded for everything that he got. So he, he kind of took us under our wing, especially those of us who either didn't have fathers around or fathers were kind of in and out. Right. Um, and and that was even before I was, like, balling. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, I'm going to make sure my best players are okay. Like, right. he did that with all of the guys. I mean, he, he took the time to kind of get to know guys and their family situation and, and um, really did more, I think, than
0: what most coaches would do. And, and um, you know, he's, he's a guy that I love to death. and, and so let me so let me ask you this. How did you – how and when in the process did you start to know, and maybe this was through discussions with your coach that you're talking about too, that you had the talent to play at the next level and even start even thinking about, you know, Division I football and maybe even NFL dreams. When did that start? I think my, my junior year, um, Brandon Joe
2: was our running back, Ohio mm-hmm. State running back, you know, Mr. Everything in yeah. Ohio before he got hurt that season. Um, so having him – on my team the year before I was going to come out helped me as far as recruiting goes, because yeah. they weren't coming to see me. They weren't coming to see everybody's coming to see Brandon. Same and so,
3: Yeah,
2: 100%. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of, you, you get a little bit lucky by that. And, and mm-hmm. I definitely, I, I would say I reap some of the benefits of that. You know, I started getting letters and stuff like that, but nobody was offering me my junior year. I mean, I had okay numbers, but nothing like, I wasn't jumping out at, on, at, on tape for anybody really, I wouldn't think. Well, I, I think, I think back then I was good enough, but you know, it, it didn't happen that way. Um, you got something?
1: I was gonna say, when, when did you start developing your confidence? Like, because the most important variable here is your belief in self, right? Yeah. What those doubts left your mind and you said, you know what, I'm one of the best players in the state. I, I'm going what? to the next level.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was probably the summer going into my senior season. Um, we had our our team camp right as the junior school year was, was ending. Um, and, you know, I was playing quarterback again. You know, Coach Montel said, hey, man, we don't have a quarterback. You're my best player. <laughs> right. I, need, I need you to play quarterback. And I'm just thinking like, oh, man, like I'm not, I'm not going to be throwing, you know, 5,000 yards, I'm going to be running, you know, the dive option and and hopefully I don't, hopefully I don't get killed, you know, but I was just like, whatever, you know, like he said, I'm the best player. I got to help do whatever it takes to win. Um, and a couple weeks into the summer, he's like, man, I, I'm going to try to get you a quarterback. I'm going to try to get you a quarterback. My cousin is a quarterback at Bishop Brady high school. He was all state the last two years. And Let's let's see if if they'll move up here and he'll come play, you know, Division one and, and you know, he'll be the quarterback that we've needed. And at first, I'm like, wait, why, why was not this all state quarterback, our quarterback, the last two years? Like, right, why, right, why would right. you wait? Why would you wait until now when he we don't have a quarterback? Because obviously he was all state, but that's another yeah. story. So he comes in in the summer. We're doing seven on seven camps and we are literally obliterating. Everybody. Because yeah. we, we always had skill guys, we just mm-hmm. didn't have a quarterback. Or yeah. we had skill guys and a quarterback, but we didn't have a line. So that, right. you know the quarterback we get killed. Right. So now we finally have skill guys all over the field and we have a quarterback that's obviously he's seasoned, but he's already first team all state two times. So right. we were we were Who every was that? single time every Rocky Pintello. Oh, okay. Rocky, Rocky Pintello. Yeah. Rocky, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same name. And they they thought it was his son, which his right. son it was Rock Pintello who came a few okay. years later, okay. but um, you know he he came and it literally changed everything. Obviously for our team, but really everything for me because right. I already knew that I was good, mm-hmm. but I didn't know I could be that good until right. he came.
3: And that yeah.
2: like basically solidified everything that that you know we wanted to do. And he broke a bunch of state records. I broke a bunch of state records that year, and yeah. there was no doubt in my mind that I was I was good enough to play Division One, but at that point, I was like, well, am I going to get a scholarship? Because I got right. no offers the whole senior season, no offers during basketball season, then it gets to, like, two weeks before graduation, and I was scheduled to walk on at Ohio State. I mean, I'm a Columbus kid, whole family play, uh, went to Ohio State, my cousin Gary buried the sales alum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so sure that's what I did I didn't know Gary was your cousin. That's my GB dude. is my cousin. Yeah, yeah. GB yeah. is my cousin. So, like, I'm like, okay, well, I am gonna have to go earn it on campus. And yeah. and you know, I mean, Columbus guys, you you dream of playing at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, there's a lot of Browns fans. Nowadays there's a lot of Cavs fans, but the professional football team in, in Ohio is Ohio State. Like yeah. they play college football, but they are the pro team. They are right. the biggest thing in our entire in our entire state. And as a Columbus kid playing football, the dream for me was always, I want to be a Buckeye. I mean, that for was, sure. that, was sure. that was what it was. And it, it, it became uh, kind of like a goal of mine. Like, okay, they don't want to give me a scholarship, then I'm, I'm going to go earn a scholarship. And not only mm-hmm. am I, I going to earn a scholarship, but I'm going to play at Ohio State. Like, right. man, I know that I'm going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but two weeks, two weeks before I graduated, uh, Akron calls on a Tuesday, offers me. Wednesday, Eastern Michigan offers me. Then that Thursday, Toledo offered me. And wow. so all all in a three-day span, when I hadn't gotten an offer the entire year, um, I had three offers and basically had to make the decision. Do I want to go yeah. pay and go to Ohio State and be yeah. working on the side to pay for school because we didn't have any money? Or am I going to take this scholarship and get a free education and probably be able to play right away?
0: Right. So, I, I chose Toledo because I felt yeah. like it was the best opportunity. Yeah. And he's from Toledo, so I'm sure yeah. that makes him happy.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, like, you especially mean, back
3: then, for Toledo,
2: Toledo was transitioning into this, I guess it's the modern day, like, pass happy, yeah. spread it out, throw the That's football true. 30 to 40 times a game. And was Bruce
0: um, Grackowski the quarterback?
2: Bruce was my quarterback. Um, yeah. we came in the same class. He he redshirt, I didn't
0: redshirt, but he ended up being my guy my junior and senior seasons and and um, that that was huge. That's gotta be huge for you to have a quarterback that, that had that ability at that level. Cause that 'cause especially for a receiver, one of the things that you kind of fear, I guess, when you go to maybe a smaller school, so to speak, is that you may not have the quarterback, just like the same thing you talk about in high school, that's going to be able to get you the ball. But Bruce, I mean, he was throwing the ball forty times a game. I mean, right? He
1: made, he made yeah. it to the NFL, so. <laughs> right. Yeah, I
0: mean, I, I mean, that's 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 a huge part. He played eleven years in the
2: NFL. And I I, yeah. I guarantee you, a lot of people don't realize that. But you have, I always tell people, in in camps or wherever I'm talking to parents about youth football, I say if if your kid is a receiver and they don't have a quarterback. Then it's gonna to be tough sledding for him, exactly. and it and it transitions to every single level every now. Stage. NFL scouts are on a different level, right? So if they yeah. see a guy, I, the the first name that comes to my mind that didn't have, I guess, uh, the greatest numbers in college, but became probably a hall of famer in the NFL is Calvin Johnson. He played right. in that that
3: run version, triple op-
2: <laughs> triple option <laughs> yeah, offense yeah, right. at Georgia Tech, right. and. You know, I mean, he, he probably had 30 catches for like 900 yards or something <laughs> right, like that. But, but still, he didn't have like the gaudy 100, 110, 120 catches.
0: Right. So like the
2: scouts are on a different level. But it's harder, I think, for college recruit, you know, coaches, I guess, or over at the recruiting coordinator to look at a film and see a kid catch one or two balls and be like, you know what? This guy would be a great fit in our yeah. offense. It's, I feel like it's, it's a lot harder for them. Um, but I guess nowadays it's a little easier because of technology and, and the the access that they have to kids. Right. Um, but but that's definitely important. And when and, did you
0: realize? Go ahead. Vic. I
1: have one other question about that. Like going to Toledo, right? Like I think everyone hears the names Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, but there are a bunch of schools like Toledo um, where a lot of guys have gone on to NFL careers from the not just Toledo, but from the MAC. Why do you think that? That transition um, at a smaller school like Toledo versus Ohio State, how do you think that benefited you just from the fact that you got on the field earlier? um, You got to you got to play more. You got to see other talent. Why do you think these smaller schools produce so much NFL talent?
2: Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's, it's your mentality, right? Like, you, you you, have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder right when you get on campus because you thought that you should have been at an Alabama or an Ohio State or an LSU. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I'm, I'm at Toledo. So, like, that was definitely something that I thought about when I got to campus. Like, man, I, every single day, I'm like, I'm going, I'm going to kill these dudes. I don't yeah. care who it is that's out yeah. there. Like, yeah. I'm going to make sure. And it wasn't that I was mad at Toledo. I was thankful and appreciative of yeah. the opportunity. But in my mind, I'm, I was talking about basically all the people that passed on me. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, always, I always wanted, I'm like, dang, hopefully in a couple of years we schedule Ohio State. Cause I was like, I want to play at Ohio State so I can show them what they missed on, what they passed right. on. So you, you have a little bit of an edge to you when you get there. And for sure, I got an opportunity to play early cause I went to camp and it was all business. Like mm-hmm. Rocky uh, walked on a, at Toledo with me one day in the freshman camp, he's like, "I'm out." I'm like, "What?" He's like, "I didn't get any reps." I said, "You're the last guy on a depth chart. You you are right. you are a late addition as a walk on, basically as a favor to me because right. I begged them to, to let you come on." You know. Right. Um. So as soon as he left, I, my head was in a book. I wasn't doing any socializing. I, I had a room all to myself as a freshman, which is kind of unheard of because my freshman roommate left me. So right. I right. just right. I I just right away, I was like, I'm going to learn this whole offense before anybody else. I'm going to know all the positions. I'm going to make sure that I take care of myself physically so that when it comes time for me to get reps, that I'm, that I'm ready. And, yeah. you know, I got, I got an opportunity to play early on because there was a couple guys that got hurt. I didn't have the numbers that I wanted. I didn't get the touches that I wanted, but I did get that experience, yeah. um, that, that I think would help propel me into the next several years at, at Toledo and I think, you know, to your question about the Mac producing talent, I think there's always a situation where there's guys that kind of fall through the cracks. Yeah. You know, the, the big schools can't get everybody because at the right. end of the day, everybody isn't playing at those big schools. Right. There's still only 11 guys on offense and 11 guys on defense
3: mm-hmm. for
2: every single team. Yeah. And so that's I think that's a, a, a cool thing about the modern day. um what is it, the the transfer portal portal in in college football. I think that's great. I think that's something that should have been around forever where a guy just isn't getting his opportunity and says, you know what, I'm leaving because you – a lot of times these schools promise kids opportunity and they
0: never get them and, well, yeah, and they yeah. stockpile talent. Mm-hmm. And I don't and then, think that's right. Yeah. yeah and, then that- the elig- and then your eligibility can run out, too. So, and these are this window of time is very, very small. So a lot of people will say, oh, you're just a quitter. If you're not getting your, t- your time, you should stick it through. And it's like, OK, that could be true in certain situations. But a lot of situations, the clock is running from the second you get there. And if you know you're good enough to go play somewhere else and you have a dream of playing, obviously, beyond that, professionally, man, you got to go do what's best for you. So I agree with you 100%. And
1: and also, I think you you brought up a very, very valuable point, which is I think early on in anyone's career, it's important for people to doubt you, right, or to feel like you're doubted. I feel like a lot of the talents that we hear about from a very, very young age, the hype train gets so big that they fall into that hype. Versus having an enemy, for lack of a better word, or someone that's testing you, and I think I think what you said there was very very important.
3: Yeah, well, yeah.
2: I mean, I, I think it's it's it's. I guess you can fall in love with the praise that you get, and and it it can somewhat paralyze you, right? Mm. And I, and I always say like my NFL career doesn't. I don't think it ends up the way that it does if I'm a first round draft pick. Right. Now it, it might. I don't right. know that my mentality would have totally changed, but I think, you know, being an undrafted guy, there was never any time where I could say, you know what, I made it. Even right. after I signed a big deal, yes. I, couldn't, I couldn't say, you know what,
0: I made it. Because I knew and I understood, they're gonna try to replace me. So they might not try that. to
2: replace me now. Let's
0: yeah. Let's, let's talk about that too, the, the transition from, you know, out of Toledo and to now you're, you know, wanting to go into the NFL and the whole, Process of being undrafted and wondering whether you're going to get drafted and stuff like that. Talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Talk a bit about what that process was like and then how you actually ended up on the Saints. Which I think you probably view yourself as a saint, even though you played for other teams. You probably view yourself as a saint. For sure. Well, like you know, just I guess I didn't mean to get off track, but just to finish that Toledo
2: thing. You know, I became a full time starter my junior year. I led the country in catches my junior year. I was first team all conference that year. Uh, I thought about leaving early. Um, yeah. But there was a coach who, who kind of will remain nameless who was really pissed off when I yeah. when I told him or when he heard that I was thinking about testing my draft stock, which yeah. looking back exactly. now, like, it really kind of infuriates me because I'm like, why, why would a coach who's there to help get the best out of me and, yep. and should be thinking about the best things for me, why would he be pissed off that I'm – that's and what I didn't say I was leaving. You know, I, yeah, I just right. wanted you're to right. see. I
3: right.
2: Just wanted to see. Okay, if I were to leave, mm-hmm. where would I land in the draft? Mm-hmm. You know, and and right. you know, I, I don't know. I just
1: if you can't, I just if you, don't understand. If you, if you can't trust those people as a player or as a student, then yeah. that's a major problem. Yeah,
2: yeah. I I don't I don't understand self serving coaches. Right? Like coaching for me, you get out of it what you put into it, and what you yeah. put into it should be the energy to get the best. Out of your kids and help them make the decisions that are the best for them. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not about you. It's not about me as a coach, right? Yeah. If I'm a coach and my guy goes on to the NFL, that's
0: gonna look good on me. Well, I, I hate to say that. I hate to say this, but I feel like capitalism corrupts in a lot of different ways, and this is one of the effects of that. Is like, especially in coaching, right? It's like y- your job is tied to the output that on the field. Nobody wants to necessarily hear your excuses and all that type of stuff. So when you when your best player, especially in a smaller school, when you're not necessarily they're not mad. Lance Morris coming through Toledo, you know what I'm saying? And not to not to say that there aren't talented players, but you understand what I'm saying. So when you have a top talented player like that that's about to leave, that is a jolt to their selfish interest. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's what starts to happen when you start to let capitalism dictate every single thing and let you know instead of you, you said like the development that's the type of thing that they should be measured on. But a lot of times it's about, did you win or did you lose? And if you didn't, you're out of here, you know? So that creates terrible sense well, for them. And, and like, to, to take it to another level, in a school like Toledo, most of those
2: guys are using Toledo as a springboard, right? Exactly. So if, if one of one of your best weapons is leaving the school, then your offense might not be as good the next exactly. year. You might not get that job from Iowa or Penn State or yeah. wherever that you're trying to, you know, move up. So... Yeah, you know, that was an unfortunate thing, and and you know I, I I took the time to really think about. it. I didn't let him make the decision for me, yeah. um, but but I but I did kind of pull back a little bit once once I heard how disappointed he was. It just kind of like, well, that's weird. So I go yeah. back to senior year, um, first team all conference, honorable mention all American, first team academic all American. Nice. Um, I was invited to two All Star games. I was invited to the combine and. The fourth quarter of the Motor City Bowl, uh, oh get tackled, land on my elbow, dislocate my shoulder, tear my labrum, oh, um, and from there, from there, it's like, well, shoot, like I either have to have surgery or I'm going to try to rehab this thing and go to the NFL. Yeah. So the the agent that I was talking to around that time, who I ended up signing with, um, he's like, it's up to you. Like, if we'll support you if you want to try to do the rehab thing or if you want to get it fixed. You just have to realize if you get it fixed, you're not going to be able to play in these all-star games. You're not going to be able to compete at the combine. And you're not going to be your normal self by the time your pro day is around. I said, right. that's fine. I, w- I would rather take care of it now and not let that be a lingering issue as I'm right. trying to make an NFL roster, regardless right. of whether I get drafted or not. Cause I, I realized at that point that I wasn't going to be a first round draft pick. Right. right I mean, right. it usually doesn't happen for, um, I mean, I always use Antonio Brown as an, as an example. Antonio Brown and I kind of went back and forth in college. He was a lot younger, but, like, in the game against him. I'm, and I, I would always say, like, that dude's going to go in the NFL. He's going to yeah. play in the NFL. And I knew as soon as I got to the NFL, I'm like, he's going to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He ended up in a six-round draft pick. So, right. you know, you you usually – the the max skill guys aren't top ten. They aren't first-rounders just mm-hmm. based on – all the other guys that, from the bigger conference, all the guys that are bigger physically, all the guys that are running four twos and four threes nowadays. Right. And that's just, that's just the nature of it.
3: I mean, that, right.
2: it's not right, but that's just kind of how it is. Right. So, you know, I, I end up going undrafted. Um, the Browns, the Bengals, and I think the Bills were like the three teams kind of hot on me after the draft. My agent and I spoke a couple of times. I'm like, look, man, I, I think Cleveland is the best opportunity. Um, let's do it. So go to Cleveland. And at that point, I, I kind of was just happy to be there, to be honest. Yeah. I still worked hard, but right. but it was just like what I had been through the last several months, like just to get there and get the opportunity was was exciting for me. We had just drafted Braylon Edwards from Michigan, you know, mm. third overall in that draft. Mm. So I knew I knew I had my work cut out for me to be another rookie guy to make that team. Josh Cribbs was a rookie with us as well. Right. Um, so uh you know, I feel like I played well all summer. Played well in training camp. Preseason games get around. I, I played in I think eleven plays in three preseason games. Yeah. So I knew the writing the writing was kind of on the wall at that point. Like right. I'm not gonna make the team in the last preseason game. You know, I'm, right. I, I just I just knew. And the rosters got had to get trimmed before that last game anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, come in that Monday or Friday or whatever day it was after that third preseason game. Sure enough, I get cut. They say, hey, if you could stick around. That'd be great because we're, we're thinking we're going to you know try to put you on our practice squad. I'm like, ah, I'm from Columbus. I- I'll see you guys when you call, you know, like wow. I'm, I'm going home. I'm not going to sit here in a hotel. Right. And the crazy thing is, I never heard from the Browns again, like after that. Wow. So wow. I don't know if they were like upset that I said I was going two hours away or right. if, they were, if they just had other roster moves well, that they, they had just, made.
1: If they were just right. being the Browns.
2: <laughs> before, that, before that, yeah, there's there's always that. A lot of people always say, "Man, like thank goodness you didn't stay with the Browns." Like, yeah, you, you right. probably would you probably wouldn't have had the same career. I say, well, I definitely wouldn't have had the Super Bowl, but you know, right, that's, right, right. You would have, you would
1: have made you with the- a lot of quarterbacks, though.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness, man! Like I, I I realize now, like how fortunate I was in my career to get cut by the Browns. I mean, I get cut by the Browns and then I end up playing with Drew Brees and then end up playing with Ben Roethlisberger and then Matthew Stafford. And then even my one practice in Atlanta, I was there with Matt Ryan. So like right. all of these guys, I think people would say we're better than Trent Dilfer and we're better than Charlie Fry. Even though right. Charlie Fry was my guy, you know, mm-hmm. but that's just, right. I, was, I was very fortunate. So right. I get cut. Um, and I go back to Columbus and I'm really like, what do I do now, I had mm. the Toronto Argonauts own my rights up in the Canadian football league. I had them calling me, Hey, come up here. And wow. I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gonna wait a little while and kind of see what happens with the NFL. I had a workout with the Houston, Texas the following week. Um, Went well. They didn't sign me. They didn't sign the other receiver that was there either. They were just kind of doing their due diligence, which I would find later in my career is is a normal thing for teams to just bring guys in and work them out. You know, I I was thinking I was going there to sign with the Texans. Right, right,
3: right.
0: right. I didn't know any better.
2: So um, I ended up re-enrolling at Toledo um, and kind of taking on like a graduate assistant position, even though I hadn't graduated yet. So basically they put me back on scholarship I had to help coach in order to get my scholarship check, and I would, you know, keep taking classes to, to try to graduate. Um, and three weeks later, we're flying from Toledo to play Fresno State. It was like a Tuesday night game, and we land, and one of the coaches kind of like runs to my seat. And I'm like, what's, what's wrong with this dude? He's like, have you talked to your agent? I said, no, we, don't. we just landed. Like, he's like, "Did you, have you talked to your mom? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not one of those right. dudes that flies and calls right. my mom as soon as I land. You know, right. he's like, call your mom. So my mom's like, hey, the uh, the Saints. You know, call call Dave. My agent's name is Dave. Call Dave. So I called Dave, and he's like, yeah, they want to bring you to bring you on the practice squad. And I'm thinking like, we never even heard from the Saints. Like, not around the draft, not before the draft. He said he said apparently they had a scout that was at the inner squad brown scrimmage um, right before the preseason first preseason game. So I was like, oh okay, cool. So I had to fly from. Fresno, California to San Antonio because we were displaced because I was a Hurricane Katrina season okay. um, and I get to San Antonio. All I have is a, a backpack with one sweatsuit, my toiletry bag, and that was it. I mean, because I, I was literally flying from Toledo to Fresno and Fresno back, so I didn't pack right. all my stuff. So I get there and Jim Haslett was the coach at the time and I just, I remember to this day, I got my physical... The scout drove me over to the Alamo Dome because that was where our facility was earlier in that season. And uh, he's like, here's Coach Hazlett. Hey, Coach Haz, how you doing? He's like, are you ready to play corner? I'm like, oh, wow. what? He's like, are you ready to play corner? And I said, uh, yeah. And he's like, good, because you're on the practice squad now. You know, you're, you're going to play wherever we put you. Mm. You're still going to be a receiver, but I need to let you know that you're going to be a practice squad corner, and you're going to be a practice squad holder and you're going to be on all the special teams and, the pra- right. you know, practice squad drills. And I said, whatever you want me to do, because at this time, I, I started to realize whatever it takes. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't care. Right. You know, I wanted to return punts and kicks in Cleveland. I didn't get any opportunity. But looking back, had I been a coverage guy, I might have gotten an opportunity. So I knew that I was going to take advantage of this opportunity with my experience and my knowledge that I gained over that training camp and that summer with the Browns to kind of help give me a better opportunity. And right. from that day on, it was like I, the, the mentality switched back. Like I'm going to kill these guys. Like yeah. it, it wasn't that I, it wasn't that I didn't have it in Cleveland. It's just, I almost felt like my, my previous success was going to give me more opportunity in the NFL. And I was right. way wrong. I mean, that, yeah. that, that had nothing to do with anything.
1: Yeah. And and hearing your kind of story, as you've told it, is it's like I think you made a lot of very, very smart and sound decisions. Right. Because especially as a as an undrafted guy, you like you said, you could have done anything in your power to stay in Cleveland just to keep that NFL job. And that's what a lot of guys do. Um, But you made the decision to say, you know what? if you don't want me if you want me to sit in a hotel room i'm not going to stay in a hotel room if you want me you'll come get me and and also then going back to toledo a lot of guys don't want to do that like i'm i'm one of the best players ever to play here i'm i'm supposed to be in the nfl but i'll come i'll go and take this position and go back to school Mm -hmm. it seems like a lot of those decisions helped you eventually land obviously there's luck and good good fortune as well but you made a series of good decisions it seems like
2: well yeah, for sure. I mean, it was I would say it was humbling. I mean, just, you know, to be an all-time great at the school and then I'm I'm in the NFL. You know, I'm I'm mm-hmm. pulling up in the in the parking lot in my 93 Dodge Spirit and there's Bentleys and there's Mercedes and there's all right. these luxury vehicles. Right. And then it's like just like this. I'm back at Toledo and I'm sleeping on my old roommate's couch. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't even have a bedroom, you know. Right. So it really was it really was it I guess it, it real you know it woke me up again like it kind of mm-hmm. it reinvigorated me it gave me like okay I don't want to be living like this you right. know so if and if and when I do get another opportunity I'm gonna kill it yeah and that's not that's not that's not discrediting the work that I did in Cleveland because I worked yeah. in, I, I've always been a big time work ethic guy I mean, my yeah. my father every black belt like we grew up in the dojo like that that work ethic was was early on taught mm-hmm. to us. So right. it was never a, a lack of work. I think the 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 um, you know the way that it happened definitely opened my eyes to professional football and how nothing is guaranteed and how you basically have to go take it. You know, so there what, is no guarantee what, that anybody's gonna get an opportunity, but when you yeah. get it,
0: you better go. You better go see. So how did your opportunity come in in New Orleans from you? You know, mm-hmm. becoming. A practice squad guy to all of a sudden being a, a integral part of that offense for many years. How did that happen? Yeah, so so '05 practice squad.
2: You know, like I said, I was just I was hungry, and every single day. And I tell guys now, like if you're on a practice squad, every day is your game day. Yeah. There there is no there is no days off for practice squad players because once you have one bad day on practice squad. You can be yeah. gone tomorrow. Right. If you're an active roster guy, you're a big money guy, you can have some bad days. Right. But if you are the practice squad guy, you're on the bottom of the pecking order mm-hmm. and you are the easiest to replace. Right. Like I saw it at my time on the practice squad in that year. We had so many different guys on and off the practice squad. I was like, this is right. crazy. Right. But that's, that's, that's professional football. Yeah. So um, I, I every single day, every single day, I made sure I was making plays, making plays, making plays. And we got to about week 11, I think, either 11 or 12. As it comes up to me, hey, man, you've been doing a great job. We're going to activate you. We need a kick return. I was mm-hmm. like, bam. Like, yeah. yes. Yeah. This is what I've been waiting for. So right. uh, that week of practice comes, pull my hamstring. Oh, Literally. My like, Thursday, like a Thursday practice, which is you know the the long track meet third down practice, right. um, pull my hamstring, so I'm hurt. I'm rehabbing for the next couple weeks. I get uh, three weeks later, I'm pretty I'm pretty good to go, but I'm back practicing again. As it comes to me, hey man, tight end went down. We gotta sign another tight end. We're gonna put you back on the practice squad. So that was basically the end of my opportunity that year. Mm. Uh, but that that really gave me. Um, I would say more hope in that they see they finally see me and they know right. that I'm at least capable. Right. Well, I mean, that was a crazy year just as far as the Hurricane Katrina being displaced, them moving us around from place to place in San Antonio, no real help from the NFL. Our facilities were horrible. Like, I always tell people we were the bad news bears of the NFL. Like, it was right. one of those type of seasons. They should do a movie on that season because it would yeah. be – tragedy mixed with comedy mixed with like drama i mean it, it was a crazy year and really like for a rookie i was like this is what the nfl is like this is this is absolutely yeah. crazy yeah. so hazley gets fired Peyton gets hired the first thing that i hear from my agent about sean payton was he wants to go to nfl europe i'm like mm. nfl nfl europe like i don't mm-hmm. i don't want to go to nfl europe he's like well you didn't yeah. play any any games last year they want to get you there get you some reps You know, get some current film on you. I'm like, all right, man, I'll go to NFL Europe. Go to NFL Europe. So the World Cup in in 2006 was in Germany um, in kind of late spring, early summer. So they moved NFL Europe season up. So we we started our camp in like early February. Well, Mm. you know, in Germany, it's cold in February, March. So, we had our camp but in you're Tampa. you're an Ohio boy now. You're an Ohio boy now. I am an Ohio boy. But, <laughs> but, I, but I lived in Texas for the last year, right, pretty much. Right, so, I'm like, right. my, my blood thinned out a little bit. Right, right, So, you know, we have camp. We fly over to, to Germany, like, late February, um, playing a couple games. And I'm leading the league in receiving. And, like, week three or four, I think it was, dislocate my thumb, mm. get her um, you know, they, they figure out that they don't have to do surgery, but you're not going to play the rest of the season. We're going to send you back to the States. And back then the, the rehab, I guess, facility for NFL Europe was in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And so we had to fly back to Birmingham, Alabama, all the hurt guys. They just, was no you wanna play? James was? so this yeah. was, James <laughs> Andrews was in Birmingham, but he wasn't affiliated with this clinic back okay. then. Okay. Gotcha. Um, he did a lot of the surgeries because he was there in Birmingham. But so I'm in Birmingham with a cast on showing up to rehab and they're throwing ice on the top of my cast. So I'm like, "What? Like, why am I here? So I, I called the trainer from New Orleans and I asked him, can you please get me out of here? Like I'm doing shoulder raises and I'm running for 20 minutes on the treadmill. Right. And then they're putting ice on top of my cast. Like right. this, is, this isn't doing anything for me. Right. Um, so I,
3: I got to go back to New
2: Orleans. Uh, finished my rehab there. They built me a splint. So I got to join the team for the late OTAs and minicamp. And that's where I really got to, you know, learn the offense, be around the coaches, you know, let them see that I could play. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got their first glimpse of me. But when I really, really like showed them was that 2006 training camp. We were in Jackson, Mississippi at Millsaps College. Um, and, you know, obviously this is Sean Payton's first time as a head coach and his first training camp. So he was going to run us into the ground he was going to try to do away with all the guys from the previous regime that just couldn't handle what he was throwing at us and a lot of guys either tapped out asked to be traded i mean it was a brutal brutal 100 plus degrees every day two days every day which is such a foreign concept now Right. Full pads and every single practice. That's like crazy. we all like we at night we'd be praying for like a huge rainstorm. So we yeah, please let right. us get one practice rained out so we don't right. have to go out there. But it was it was a and the worst part I would say even worse than that was New Orleans wasn't ready for us to be back there. We played our home games in one in Shreveport, Louisiana, and the other one I think we played in. um Jackson, Mississippi, because we played at Jackson Memorial Stadium. So we didn't even go back to New Orleans. So our whole six weeks of training camp was like real life training camp. Whereas nowadays, your training camp is two and a half, three weeks. You break camp, you go home.
3: Nah, we didn't have that. We
2: were in the dorms fighting this 105, 110 degree weather and banging heads every single day. Um, But I stood out. I made plays every day. I was one of the like the MVPs of training camp that year. Um, I was returning punts, like I had a huge average in the preseason, and that was kind of what opened their eyes, you know, that I could be a good player, and yeah. um, ended up ended up making the team, played in a few of the games, um, and then we had somebody, uh, Michael Lewis came back from from a shoulder injury, and Peyton comes up to me, hey man, we're we're gonna put you back on practice class. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dang, like, right. what, what is it gonna take for me to like stick and like really get an opportunity? And I just, you know, I I played four games in 06. Um, you finished the year on the practice squad. That year we went to the NFC Championship game. So it was it was tough on, on me mentally not being involved, you know, right. on that level. Obviously, I was involved. I was helping get the guys prepared. I felt like I was a better receiver than a lot of the guys they'd be guarding the DBs. Right. So I was I w- I had a part in it, but I wasn't playing in any games. And I really went through like a pretty Dark and negative time where I was yeah. just like, man, this this might not even be for me. Like, I love yeah. football, I love it here, I love right. the team, but if they're not going to give me an opportunity, opportunity, then why am I, you know, why am I wasting my time? Right. So, um you know, a couple of guys that I'm close with or or teammates, just you know, hang in there, hang in there. You're going to get your opportunity. Your time is going to come.
0: Um, you know, and then give me a, give me give me, a, give me an idea. Who were the receivers? Was this Colston was there? Was Devery Henderson yeah. there? Was this was this was Marcus' rookie year. Marcus okay. was a
2: seventh round draft pick. From Hofstra. Yeah, so from no, nobody from Hofstra. No nobody ever thought that he was gonna come in and he was gonna start from day one. But I tell you what, when he when he lined up out there, he looked like a pro. Yeah, and he when did. he when when the ball came his way, he looked like a
0: grown man. I saw him, of, I saw him play in in college. I actually went to a couple of his games because my boy Ricky Bryant. Do you know Ricky? Ricky yep. Bryant? I know Ricky Bryant. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So Ricky played at Hofstra after he transferred from Ohio State. So I used to go to their games and I was like, Who is this dude? you know, like yeah. so I knew he was gonna be a pro. And
1: who else was yeah. that? What other recipe? Jimmy runs? was Jimmy Graham there?
2: No, Jimmy Jimmy was years after us. Um Joe Horn was our okay. was our starting. Oh, yeah. team. And Joe Horn's a beast. Um, Deveree was the backup Z. Marcus became the starting X, but Dante Stallworth was the wow. starting X wow. at that time. So that was kind of like our main group of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, from day one, you you could see like this dude is going to be pretty good. You know, yeah. and, and, and Drew loved him. The coaches loved him. He was quiet. He didn't say he a word. He showed up and bullied bullied the DBs and made mm-hmm. plays every day. Um, and so like for me, it was almost inspiring to see this dude like who came from small school, they gave him an opportunity, he seized it. And so, for me, it's like, I, I'm gonna do the same thing, like, whenever mm-hmm. I get a chance, you know, I'm, I'm gonna do the same thing. So, 07 comes, we start out terrible, we're 04, and Coach Payton comes up to myself and Devery Henderson, and he's like, You guys are gonna alternate, start now. And so that's when I was like, "Oh, and you were okay. still on the practice
0: squad?" No, no, I was. I was active. I made the okay. team. I had
2: another. I had another great training camp. Made the team, and we're playing at. Uh, I think we're playing at Carolina, week five. Okay. And he's like, uh, "Lance is going to start this week. Dever, you're going. You're going to be the number two, and we'll alternate each week." And so, from that point on, that was kind of when I became a regular player. And started starting games. And that it kind of, you know, springboarded me to 08, where I had, you know, almost 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. 09 is the Super Bowl year that I missed a lot of time with injury, but, you know, still was able to get healthy enough to play in this playoffs and make plays in the Super Bowl. Right. Um, so it, it, I always had the uh, idea that I was good enough. I always had the mentality that once my opportunity comes, I was going to seize it. It was just a matter of me getting it.
0: Um, did and, you? And so you, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, like you had a chip on your shoulder probably. And, and, you know, you questioned different times whether this was for you. And did you ever have that moment where you're like, I made it. I fucking finally made it. Like, did you ever have that or were you? Did you keep that chip on your shoulder through the whole I, period of time? I think I think I, I kept it on my shoulder because I had seen
2: too many guys come and go. Wow. Um, and, I, and I knew that being a guy that came in undrafted and being a guy that bounced up and down from the practice squad, it wouldn't be much for them to get rid of me. You know, Definitely. like, it, 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 you know, I'm not a first round pick like they, they right. hold on to first round picks a lot longer. They give yeah. them more opportunities because of what's invested in them. Yeah. So I, I never I knew that any type of comfort would lead to complacency. Any type of complacency would not allow me to put my best foot forward each and every day. So my mentality was always I haven't made it. And I think that's the reason why I stayed and ended up playing in the NFL for 11 years is because I just never allowed myself to have that moment where it's like I made it. I always felt like once I'm done, I can reflect, man. I made it to the NFL. I had a hell of a career. Mm-hmm. I don't do a whole lot of that nowadays, but every now yeah. and again, I come in my office and I look at my Super Bowl ring and I'm like, like I, I did that. You know, yeah, that was pretty cool. That, but, right. I, but 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 during, I could never, I, not, not for a moment was I ever going to allow myself to not work harder because it's hard to get there, but it's much harder to stay there once you're there because <laughs> from the day you are there, they're trying to replace you. They're trying to get yeah. younger and cheaper. And I knew that and I realized that from, from my time up and down from the practice squad. And I wasn't going to let that happen to me
1: again. And, and since you were there, you were in New Orleans during a very critical time, right? Um, Katrina happened. Um, and there were a lot of things going on in the city itself. Um, and the attachment, you know, what we all saw through that time period was the relationship between the Saints and the city, right? Um, I wanted you to talk a little bit, about that and how special that was, the culture of New Orleans and also bringing a Super Bowl after all of that heartache and pain, mm-hmm. what that did for you guys as a team and what that did for the city as a whole. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I mean, like I said before, I was, I was in San Antonio from, from the moment that I signed with the Saints. So I didn't even fully understand the gravity of Hurricane Katrina. You know, mm-hmm. being an outsider and seeing it on TV is different than living it and yeah. your homes are ruined, and people that you know homes are ruined, and basically their lives are turned upside down. So I didn't right. fully grasp it. I understood because of what the, you know, the stories that the guys told, and I understood based on the circumstances or the cars that we were dealt in San Antonio, but I didn't really fully understand it until '06 when we went back to New Orleans and we reopened the Dome. Um, you know, that, that game, that Monday night football game against the Atlanta Falcons and Mike Vick is I would say probably one of the most important football games to ever be played, and it hits right mm-hmm. on what you were talking about—that the the city, the state, the entire region that had been decimated by a hurricane, a natural tragedy that was one of the worst to ever happen in our history, of people that were down, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily out, but they were close, right. yeah. that that needed something to give them hope, needed something to kind of galvanize, needed something. To look forward to,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and and the atmosphere in that game that night was one that I think is right up there with the Super Bowl. I mean, it was yeah. it was electric from the moment that you walked in, you felt it. There was tension because everybody's nervous. Oh, man, this yeah. is the first game back. We've got to win this game. Like, you know, it means more than just a W in the in the win column. Like we, we need it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think as, as players and as a team, we understood that. And we felt that and we understood that this is bigger than just a football game. Like we've got to win this game because we need to give these people something to cheer about. We need to give these people something that, that is going to brighten their lives, something that they've lacked for the last calendar year, you know, plus at that time that, that, you know, and thankfully, you know, we were able to go out and, and take care of business and the relationship I think from there even just got stronger with that community. Um, And I tell people all the time that the feeling with Saints fans as a player is a feeling of family. And I know a lot of people say that or a lot of different teams say that, but I can genuinely say in New Orleans, that's how it feels. No matter where you go, everybody loves you. They treat you like family. They treat you like they're one of uh, of their own. Um, and it is like they really truly feel saints football like when we win when we win on Sundays on Mondays the whole community positive attitude rejoiceful just just good and you know the vibes are great when we lose you can tell that the community feels that physically it's crazy like everywhere you go like I everybody's remember, down I mean, and in the dumps and just like, it's, it's crazy. But that is, that is like, it is a family down there. And, well, and I, think, I think
0: it's also just part of the culture, right? I remember, um, you know, God rest his soul, but our boy, Will Smith, he invited us yep. to a bunch of games and we used to go down there um, in his suite and all that type of stuff. And I remember we came down there from, I think it was a Monday night football game and by 8 a.m. I mean, yep. the whole, the tailgate, I was like, wait, I thought Ohio yeah. State was crazy. But eight AM for the whole day and Monday night football, yep. you know, it doesn't start till eight at night. Um, yep. and then also just, you know, just seeing the people and the food and the energy and the songs and the stadium was it's, rocking that night. It was just yep. like I love that
1: atmosphere. It's one of my favorite cities.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that family aspect too and the team aspect. Let's talk about breeze, right? So from I want to talk to to you about him from a couple standpoints. But first let's talk about football. Because, you know, there are a lot of people that think Drew Brees is Going to go down as one of the top five quarterbacks, maybe of all time. Talk to us a little bit about your perspective about Drew Brees as a player. Um, where do you think he kind of measures in history and some of the things that you learned from him that helped you become the great player that you became?
2: Well, I mean, I, I think
0: top five for sure, um, mm. if not
2: top three. I mean, wow. it, it's, it's hard to really quantify, um, you know, quarterbacks from different eras. Um, but if we're talking quantifying I mean he's got the most passing yards he's got the most touchdowns sure he's had a long career but I mean how how does that not at least get him in the door of the conversation and that that for me is like you know well you can't you can't compare Roger Staubach to Drew Brees I said no you can't because Drew Brees is so much better like (laughs) I don't care what I don't care what the argument is about how great he was back then like if you imagine putting Drew Brees back then you know like that's it's, it's a weird conversation, but I think just as far as work ethic, uh, as far as chip on his shoulder, he was a second-round draft pick, not a first. He thought he was going to be a first. He was an All-American guy. So, like, just watching him work kind of helped me want to work more, you know, because I'm like, if this if this is our leader, our captain, the best player on our team, and he's doing all this extra stuff, then i got to be doing it, too. Um, and and we, we did, obviously, we worked together a lot, but, like, the stories that you hear about our, our really good teams in New Orleans, um, they usually start with talking about Drew Brees and how he works and how after every practice he's out there with his receivers, his running backs, his tight ends after practice getting more reps right mm-hmm. because he wasn't satisfied with play seven of period eight. You know, let's right. run that. Right. Let's run that a couple of times so we get that right. And right. that's that is the reason why a guy that's not super athletic that's not super big never had the strongest arm has been able to put himself in the conversation as one of the greatest of all time because mm. he is always working always yeah. even to this day going into year 20 i'm sure he's out on the field at, at over here at santa fe christian about 20 minutes from me in san diego doing drops going through the progression of all of his all of his plays, even without receivers. I mean, he does a a personal walkthrough. After the walkthrough um, the team walkthrough on Saturdays before the game he goes into the indoor facility by himself. A lot of times with the lights off. So the only light in the facility is the light that reflects from the weight room into the bubble. And he goes through every single play of the script from the top of his head and he does the drop to every play, he does the footwork and the hand, ball handling with no ball, and every single time, he's throwing to his target, and then he points to his other guys in order of his progression. Every wow. single game, he does that. Yeah, this is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah. And this is something that he does that's part of his routine that allows a guy that you know, isn't the most physically gifted to play 20 years in the NFL and still be successful and still be a Pro Bowl guy and still have his team in the conversation as one of the best in the NFL and still be a Super Bowl favorite going into year 20. So that's the type of worker that he is. Mm -hmm. And the relationship that I've had with him has been one that started with me coming back from NFL Europe, hurt hand, small Probably never even heard of me before. I'm in the locker room. He's in the locker room. We're the only two in there. It's like six thirty in the morning because you know rehab. You you got to wake up early, right? So he comes in. He's still working on his shoulder because he had the pretty pretty bad shoulder injury in, in San Diego before he signed with New Orleans. He walks over to me, introduces himself to me, asks asks me if I need anything or if I do need anything to let him know. And right there, I knew yeah. this was a good dude. You know, this is this is a guy that that. I'm going to be under his wing or I'm going to be doing anything that he asks or I'm going to work harder because that's the type of guy that he is. So yeah. that's that was my first personal experience with him. And I think it went a long way with the relationship that we developed as time went on, both on and off the field. And um, shoot, man, like, like I said, I think he's definitely one of the all-time greats, definitely a top five guy. Yeah. And, you know, the other guys that people like to put in there ahead of him, I, I always I always want to hear the reasons why uh-huh. Um, because, because I, I feel like I, I have reasons to refute, to refute anything that they can say. Um, but obviously right. I'm a little bit biased too, because my career as is, not is sure. didn't turn out without Drew Brees.
1: And, and that's, that's, that's what made, you know, not to transition, but he's been in the news for a little bit more controversial reasons. Um. I wanted to to ask, like, considering that, right? You, from your first experience and every experience of any player that I know that's ever interacted with group, first and foremost, says he's a good guy. Right. Um, and to be connected to as many minority players as he has been and to have good relationships, what surprised me most about his commentary is I don't feel like he should have been as tone deaf considering his actual experiences in the league, Right. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on 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 his commentary and, and why you think he kind of is as dis- or was as disconnected as he was after 20 years in the league to have to come out and do all of that apologizing now, you know.
2: Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, sometimes it takes a situation like his comments and the backlash that ensued for somebody to actually open their eyes and their ears and to learn. Um, so I'm not going to say I'm glad that it happened. Obviously you, you don't want stuff like that to happen. You don't want people that you know, and you love to, uh, make comments that hurt so many people. Um, but I think had it not happened, then he probably doesn't learn and he doesn't understand the significance of his words. And for me, it's, it wasn't even, he made the same stance in 2017, which was disappointing And, and I kind of excused it, right? He took the picture with President Trump and Melania at the national championship game, which I kind of made excuses for. But then when he did this for me personally, I I felt almost stabbed in the back. Mm. It it was disappointing, which is what I tweeted after it happened. I wasn't going to write a huge statement. I wasn't going to go write an article. But I wanted to make sure that people understood somebody that was close to him and and he was going to see it. I knew he was going to see it. But sure. I, I needed to make sure that I was heard in that moment because I have such a close, intimate, you know, relationship with the guy that yeah. it, 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 it broke my heart to, to hear him say it and to not learn anything, at least in the last three years. Right. Forget, forget about his experience with 80 to 90% of his teammates being black his entire career, Um, let's just talk about the last three years and all the things that have happened for him to not, I guess, think outside of his own personal box was was disappointing to me. And um, to get back to that, to my original point, the thing that was most disappointing is the gravity of his words right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. I'm not necessarily as disappointed that Drew Brees still felt that way. I'm more disappointed that he didn't realize that the things that he said would impact so many people, both mm-hmm. negatively in, in the Black community and the minority community and those who support us, mm-hmm. and positively for the people who felt that exact same way, yeah, who would mm-hmm. say, you know what? Drew Brees said it. right? That must be we're right. We're mm-hmm. right about this. Or right. the people who were maybe finally coming over the fence to the right side after watching the actual knee on George Floyd's neck kill him. Mm -hmm. The people who were on the fence that were maybe coming to the side who could listen now to Drew Brees, I guess, refresh their memory of their original point to go back and say, you know what, forget that. I'm not Mm -hmm. worried about that. This is what it's all about. That, That to me was the most critical part it's disappointing that he felt that way but you know he he makes a good point i, I stand because this is what it means to me right well you, you've got to take a second to think of what it might mean to other people mm-hmm. what it might mean to the 90 percent of your teammates that you've had throughout your career
3: yeah
1: That's and these exactly conversations is. he hears these conversations in the locker room right it's not like yeah, was- I mean- and did you
0: did you reach out to him did you ever actually talk to him personally about this Yes. So okay. it's kind
2: of crazy because I spoke to him the day before that interview, or at least that interview aired. And, and it was, uh, that first blackout Tuesday where everybody was posting the blackout Tuesday to try to raise awareness for black lives matter and all these different things. Um, he posted for blackout Tuesday. Then he posted another one just basically about, you know, us coming together and you know kids in the park of all different races and, and backgrounds play together and they don't think anything about it um and i reached out to him that day and i said thank you um it means a lot coming right. from somebody like you who has such a big platform who has so many people who are looking to you to say something right i wasn't i wasn't going to reach out to him ahead of time and say hey you should do x y and z mm-hmm. I'm, I, I don't feel like that's my responsibility and i would never want somebody to do it because somebody else told him yeah. that should do it right um, so it, it for me personally it felt like a slap in the face when the very next day he kind of reverts back to his 2017 stance right. um and we did talk after he he uh texted me um on thursday and we had a conversation a pretty good conversation where he was just you know so apologetic and i think that was the same day that the saints had a team meeting Um, and they basically let all the players let him have it, you know, and and open up his eyes. And and I feel like he was very remorseful. I feel like he finally got it. And I think the biggest part was he couldn't separate his own personal view and opinion of what the flag and the anthem meant with what a worldwide or an otherly view would be. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that I think, you know, hearing from people who care about him and and people – being upset with them i think that's finally what what opened his eyes to it um you know and i and i told him like i understand you're going through it and rightfully so mm-hmm. you know what you what you said was devastating to a lot of people what you said right. could damage a lot more of uh, or or i guess put a pause on some of the progress that we're starting to make in this movement yeah. um and and you know, I, I really, I still love the guy. I will still support the guy. And I told him, I will help you. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you need my help in any of these endeavors as far as getting your name back, right. um, whether it's spending money, giving money, whether it's giving your time, uh, whether it's even just educating you on the simple things, um, something as simple as the black soldiers who fought World War II that came back to a different America than his grandfathers. I mean, right. my grandfathers fought in World War II. One was white, one was black. Mm-hmm. And they both came back, and they had two different experiences. Yeah. So you know, I I, I think Man, that
0: that actually that brings me to a great point that I, I wanted to, I wanted to transition to, which is still along the same lines, but you just mentioned kind of your your um, your biracial, right, and your ethnicity, and and you're fighting for Black Lives Matter, but your understanding of it, and it's something that you've internalized. And I guess I have kind of two kind of perspectives on this. One or two kind of questions. One is, you, it seems like you've embraced kind of the role of uh, speaking up, right? You're not one of the guys that's going to stay silent about things that happen uh, uh, in this time period and in other time periods, number one. And then number two, talk to us a little bit about how your experiences, personal experiences, growing up, being biracial, right, number one. And then number two, your personal experiences with racism and, you know, police and stuff like that. The reason why I think that's important uh, is because I, I, something that we want to do more is I want people to know that it doesn't matter whether you're playing in the NFL or you live in the hood, or anything in between, you are going to have these experiences, and I want people to actually hear them out of our mouths and understand why people like us are taking this personally, why people like us are fighting for some of these issues. So I know that was a lot, but yeah. uh, just you know, jump in wherever you feel. yeah. I mean, I, I think that you cannot. We're at a time now
2: where your your obviously your silence is complicity. Um, your silence is is maybe more convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be, it, it'd be a lot easier for me to keep my mouth shut and not say anything and everybody loves me. And you know, like, I, but I, that's not important to me. I, what's mm-hmm. important to me is that we are in a very precious and important moment in our history. Um, one where the progress is different because there are people who don't look like us that are involved in this movement, which is, which is, I think is impertinent to actually changing things. Mm-hmm. Um, we've protested forever right Mm -hmm. when there's been Mm -hmm. racist issues lynchings beatings police brutality there's Mm -hmm. always been protests there's always been rioting or looting which is Mm -hmm. is i think the people who are on the other side of progress always like to point to the rioting and looting which Mm -hmm. in my mind you're losing focus right Right. don't pay attention to don't pay attention to a couple of idiots when there are the masses are the ones that are trying to create and make change so Mm -hmm. i would I, i i think i would be doing everybody a disservice if I didn't open my mouth. And I understand I'm in a different position now than if I was an active player, but but now it's more it's more acceptable for active players to be speaking up and, and you know, trying to make change that is good for everybody. I mean, that's the thing. We're, Black Lives Matter symbolizes progress for equality. Mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter isn't trying to make black lives better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. We're not we're not asking for anything extra. Right. That's that's the thing. So like when there's somebody who comes out and they make a statement about black lives matter that is negative to the cause or or opposite to the cause, I'm always like, what what is that all about? All we're saying is that Black Lives Matter or the all lives matter crew. All lives physically cannot matter until black lives do. I mean, I, I, what, what is so hard to grasp about that concept? I think, like, I, for think, me
1: it just... I think you touched on a great point right there, right? Which is you're fighting for equality, right? And you're fighting for equality from a group of people that are used to superiority, right? So it's yeah. very hard for them to digest the reality of everyone catching up to them is kind yeah. of how I look at, that group of people, right? They're, they're feeling like their position of power is threatened due to their own insecurities. And as a result of that, they continue to marginalize other groups.
0: And that's what people say. They're like, a lot of people do understand it. They just don't, yeah. they don't agree. And that's the yeah. sad. Well, and I think it's, I think
2: the, the, the original plan was to minimize and marginalize. And now that there is, uh, I would say a boom in information We've got way more access to being able to see what goes on all around this country, right? So 20 years ago, somebody, you know, gets, gets killed by the police and there's no body cameras and there's no cell phone cameras. We don't hear about it. We don't see it. We might hear about it and we might be upset and we might protest, but, but right. there is not that video evidence that's available now. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, there there is no better time to, to force cause that's it's it's gonna be forced change. There's there's this country was set up this way, right? Mm-hmm. So that so that we would be less than. Mm-hmm. That that's changing. We're gonna force it to change. And people are either gonna get on board with that or they're gonna be on the wrong side of history. And I and I think yeah. that's 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 important. And and regardless, biracial or not. I'm still looked at as a black man. Mm -hmm. I consider myself a black man. I was brought up a black man. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to fight and I'm going to bring along my white brothers and sisters, my other minorities along with me, because that's my responsibility. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I I just, I feel like it's important and it's, it's incumbent upon me as a black man to do everything that I can to help further push the progress whether that's having a conversation with people who don't understand, whether that's getting people affiliated or involved with, with uh, uh, Black industry or Black community or Black Lives Matter, or whether it's helping support Black business. I mean, it's, it, is, it is, the time is now because if we don't capitalize on this moment, when are we gonna do it? I mean, that, that, that to me is like, it's, it's either now or never because after this, we can't, we can't allow stuff to just go back to normal. Like, that, that's, yeah. like there's gotta be police reform. There's gotta be accountability held for, for the officers that are continuing to kill us and, and not see any repercussions from it. Um, there's gotta be uh, opportunity in the executive level of all business in the business world. There's gotta be opportunity for black and brown people that have never had opportunity before. We've gotta, we've gotta be looked at as
0: equal right? That's the part anything, of it. They know, just look at weird. us and they're just like... Hey. Just, on, just on that real quick, and I'm going to let V jump in, is that, uh, you know, there's a study uh, that's out there, pretty popular study, where they basically sent two resumes, identical resumes to corporations. And one of them had a, a black sounding name, so to speak. The other one had a white sounding speak uh, name, so to speak. And I think there was like a 50% more or higher ratio in callbacks For the white sounding names and the black sounding names with the exact same resume and so that speaks to what it just what you just said speaks to that but v i wanted you to uh
1: in. i think you provide a great example of of what integrated america actually should look like right but i think i wanted to ask you about your personal experiences you know Mm -hmm. you've obviously have family that has probably you've had to break down views through your family Tell us a little bit about that in terms of educating even your own family and the importance of that, of actually understanding that a lot of people hold these views because they've been passed down generationally and they don't have someone to speak to, to actually see, a lot of your family probably actually was able to see through you, your eyes, like our experience isn't the same as Lance's experience.
2: Well, yeah, for sure. And I think just even before I answer that question, the thing that always killed me, growing up was when, obviously you get a little older, middle school, high school, when people say, I don't agree with interracial data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that for me, like, it cut me, because I'm like, dang, well, that's yeah, the I'm reason to for that. my existence. Like, right. I don't exist if,
3: yeah, if yeah.
2: a black man and a white woman and vice versa can't be together. So like, right. that was always like, you know, that you talk about microaggressions and racism, like that for me was like, you don't know how racist that is. Mm. Like that—that—that that, that is a terrible thing, and I experienced that a couple of times with girls that I dated growing up. Where it's just mm. like, I don't know how my family's gonna feel about this. Or one example, you can't ever come to my house when my dad is home. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's just—that's just what it is. Yeah. And you know, as a young kid, it's just like, okay, I'm excited to be with this girl, whatever. Like, I don't have to right. go to her house and be around her dad. I don't want to be around him if he doesn't want to be around me.
3: But right. but looking back, it's like,
2: damn, like that—that right. that is a pretty—that's a pretty crazy thing I love you, I cheer for you at all the games, Mm -hmm. all the football and basketball games, but I don't want you with my daughter. Yeah. Like that was that was pretty crazy to me. Like you know, it it, and I feel like that's something that continues to happen today. Where there's a lot of a lot of white men who don't who who feel like a black man is not good enough for their daughters.
3: Mm Yeah. And
2: that's that's unfortunate. Like that's that's crazy. Like I'm I'm married to a white woman. And she shares a lot of the views that I have. And she's all on board with the Black Lives Matter and everything, and we have conversations. And we have had conversations with people who are close to us that maybe don't, not necessarily feel the same way, but don't quite understand what's going on. And we've had to open people's eyes about things and how they see things. Um, And and I mean, I I, I feel like I, I couldn't be, more proud of of her and how she is and and how she understands what's going on and how important she feels that this mov- movement is and um you know I've I've had to tell her about you know the, the racism I've experienced sometimes for her to finally yeah. realize that, okay that this is this is a big deal you know yeah. I, I moved to Western I, I
0: lived in I think it's important to talk about. That's what that's what I was asking you a little bit earlier. Touch a little bit on some of the things that you've experienced. You don't have to go all the way into detail, but I think it's important for people to hear it. Mm-hmm. That it's not yep. just something that we're just talking about in the you know on the air somewhere. That these are real, actual stories.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I remember uh, uh, Little League, Columbus, Ohio, playing for the Eastern Vikings. We go play a road game in a in an area that was predominantly white, and they called us all kinds of monkeys and mm-hmm. niggers and coons and all that. Like that happened, yep. uh, you know. You, 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 I didn't grow up around in, in a in a white neighborhood. I grew up around black kids. Like my whole neighborhood was either either black kids or uh, uh, Russians and, and Jewish kids mm-hmm. who kind of just we didn't. There wasn't a lot of white kids. Now I mm-hmm. went to uh, Columbus Public Schools, which was pretty mixed. I would say probably more black than white, but pretty mixed. Um, so I didn't I didn't have a whole lot of racism at school, but I did mm-hmm. through sports. Mm-hmm. and the things that people would say um, even going to, to high school, we played at uh, Ashland in, in high school basketball my junior year and I just remember before we went there, the coaches kind of preparing us for it and yep. my team that year, yep. We, yep. Weren't, we weren't West, I went to Westerville South, like back right. then, it was a predominantly white school, now we have black kids on a lot of the sporting teams, which is normal, right. um, but they, they, they said, look, this, this place isn't diverse like ours is and you might hear some things that you don't like and you, you know you, you can't react you can't let it get to you I just remember yeah. just going out for the opening like layups of the warm up and them calling us coons they just yeah. kept saying coons coons, coons. Yeah. and I'm like this is I'm like this is crazy like nuts. Th- and they didn't nuts. care like this no. we were no. in their no. gym no. we were in their hometown and they didn't do anything about it mm-hmm. so
0: that, you know, that was not. another I think at yeah. Newark were Catholic or one of those schools, same type, same yep. exact experience.
1: Yeah. We had, we, had signs and everything. We actually went into the stands and took the signs out of the fans' hands.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But, but to even put that type of pressure yeah. on, on kids, 15, 16, 17 year old kids. And then for your coaches just to be like, yo, you got to get over it. You kind of, you know, I mean, I don't know what else they're supposed to do necessarily, but it's just like, wow, that's a lot to put on somebody at that age um, to realize that people, hate you for essentially no reason. I, I, th- yeah. I think I, think I would have rather
2: them do what they did than, than not say anything, yeah. you know, because, it, because then if they don't say anything, they don't know what kind of reaction is going to come from myself or the two or three other black dudes that were on the team back then. Right. Um, I, th- I think the, the reaction might have been different. You
3: know, yeah.
2: I, I'm not saying I would have ran up in the stands and tried to fight somebody. But but it might have been a situation where my game suffers because I'm thinking about something that has nothing to do with the basketball game, um, right. you know. And, and that that you know just them taking the time to say, look, they're ignorant. Yeah. They might say some ignorant things. Yeah. I just want to I want to prepare you
0: just in case it happens.
2: So I
0: yeah, those are tough lessons for us to learn at that age. But I do think they are lessons, and yeah. uh, I guess as we continue to move forward. I guess another question I have for you is what, I guess, what are your goals now um, in the, I guess, within the, the movement, so to speak, but also like in other things, I know you have other endeavors and other things that you care about. I know you're a family man now. Uh, so just yeah. talk to us a little bit about how you see life moving forward. Yeah. Well, I mean,
2: within the movement, I'm, I'm going to keep speaking up. I'm going to keep doing the things that I'm doing. Um, yeah. Obviously, the pr- the protests have kind of died down, which I went to a few here in San Diego and they were awesome. And they were like really eye opening to see the amount of people and the diversity of the people and, and, and how important this is to people who look like us, but people who also don't look like us. Yeah, I um, and that, I think I think that's important. Um, I'm in I'm in talks now with a company here that I'm involved with um, about doing a, a, a huge fundraiser for directly for Black Lives Matter um, you know, to help raise more money, to, 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 to be able to do more things. Um, and it's just, I think it's, it's about continuing the conversation. So I'm going to continue to speak up and I'm going to continue to speak out against the people who are contrary to what black lives matter stands for, because I, I I, like you're either a part of a, a positive movement and a change in history or you're gonna be on the back end of it and we're gonna leave you mm-hmm. back there. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, I I get tired of hearing people say, this is how they were brought up.
3: Like, right. it's 2020 mm-hmm. now. If
2: right. you're not opening your eyes or opening a book or allowing yourself to listen,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you're just gonna revert back to how you were taught, right. then then I don't wanna have anything to do with you. Now, yeah. older people, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, who have always been that way, like, that's like, different. But, but people who are younger and have the ability to learn still yeah. that, that can can that you know should want to learn. Um, if they're feeling that way then I'm I'm not gonna waste my time trying to convince them. I'm gonna I'm gonna use my time in a more effective manner in trying to further the movement for equality and justice and you know to make this world a better place for, for, for my children because mm-hmm. the world is looking our country at least is looking a lot more like me and my children than mm-hmm. the people who founded this country. Mm-hmm. And it's just gonna continue. Our country's getting more black and brown. Like mm-hmm. the, the government can't stop that. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna try to do what I can to make this place better for the my children and the, and the generations after them. So, um, yeah. you know, that's that's important to me. Um, like that's you fair. said, I'm a, I'm a family man. I've got three kids, two young daughters. Uh, Grayley's almost five. Nola will be three in October. And then my son, Marina, will be one in August. Wow. Um, so we are we are all hands on deck, busy with the three trying to How wrangle did them. San Diego. How'd you end up in San Diego? I ended up in San Diego because my wife is from Northern California. Um, she graduated, was a cheerleader at Sac State, and then moved down to San Diego because a lot of people from her area moved down here um, to kind of you know get away to a better place, I guess you could say. Um, and so when 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 we were dating, we started dating in 2013. I was still playing, obviously. Uh, we got pregnant with Graylee on my, in my last year, um, I was in Detroit. We were living in Tampa, Florida in the off seasons. Um, and once we had the baby, I was like, I, I know she wants to be in California. Her whole family's in California. And, you know, this is home for her. And, and being in Florida wasn't home for her. Being in Florida really wasn't home for me, but I'm an Ohio kid. And a lot of us have dreams of moving to Florida. I mean, that was just the reality of it. Um, so we get to get to California. and I love it here, man. I've, I've, I've found, um, you know, a, a good group of people to, to kind of be friends with. Um, yeah. I've, I've affiliated myself with a couple of different businesses here. Um, and, and, you know, I've been out in the community, still do a lot of community work, um, whether it's a Christmas events or uh Christmas backs I usually do at, at, um, hospitals or this past Christmas, I did it at a, um, school for kids who have issues. There's any any kind of yes. issues, elementary right. school. Um, and we do a Thanksgiving turkey giveaway every Thanksgiving where we basically adopt a family um, and we bring them everything Thanksgiving. And we even throw in a couple of Christmas gifts because we understand that they're not in a position to buy a lot of Christmas gifts for the kids. Right. Um, That's and awesome. I've always understood. Um, I had a receiver coach in New Orleans a long time, Curtis Johnson, that said, this life isn't about you. Mm-hmm. Um, about what you can do and how you can impact those around you. That's what's going to live on long after you're gone. Yeah, um, and I embrace that, and, and um, you know, just so you know, try to try to do what I can every day to be the best version of me. I mean, that, that's that's yeah. that's what it's all about. <laughs> but while realizing this life isn't all about me, you know, it's yeah. about bettering bettering the life of my family. Um, it's about you know, giving time and money and effort and energy to those around me who need it. Right. Um, and still trying to have something that that wakes me up every day gives me energy um because there was a law after i retired that it was just kind of like okay like now what like i hit that that retirement wall. i guess you could say where you like'm right. not, not saying i felt worthless but i definitely felt like i need something like i need i need something you know I'm, that, I'm, I'm, that
0: happens, I'm that happens to that. a lot of that happens to a lot a lot of players yeah. Lot of players yeah go ahead V.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, I was just I was just gonna say, you know, what you were saying about San Diego, I feel like it's it's one of the shining examples of what America can be because every time I've been there, I actually feel like it's integrated. It's not just that there are pockets of minorities here and there, but everyone you go into a restaurant, you see black and brown faces, you see white faces, and it's a natural, more of a natural an organic organic interaction. I think if if more more cities were like that, or looked at that as an example this this country definitely could develop
2: i mean that's that's one of the things that I love most about San Diego when, when my wife and I were dating every single time that i come here, no obviously we're young, we don't have any kids, so we're going to go out to dinner, we're going to go out to the club, and we're going you yeah. know we're going to do social things. It was so contrary to what I grew up with in Columbus mm-hmm. and in Toledo and sometimes in other places where usually you go places and it's very one or the other mm-hmm. or one and the others. Um, right. San Diego is not like that. New Orleans was a lot like that, where it's mm-hmm. it's very mixed and very diverse and everybody's mm-hmm. kind of cool with everybody. Um, right. That's not to say that racism doesn't exist here because I know yeah, it does. It does. Um, but, but I guess uh, uh, the, the big majority, the vast majority of, of San Diego is very very open and, and to the diversity and um, it, it's beautiful. And, and like you said, it is, it is a picture
0: of what America can and should be. Absolutely. Let me ask you this question and then we're going to get to something fun and get you out of here. First of all, thanks for joining us, man. This has been really good. Cool. Yeah, has been. Uh, uh, so one question I have for you is actually back, back to football season and, and right now it's July and the season, typically camps start at the end of this month. And there's a whole coronavirus out here right now. And, you know, there are all kinds of leagues trying to figure out what to do. The data is different depending on who you talk to. The states are dealing with different issues, you know, with their leadership. How do you see an actual season playing out? I guess as an observer, right? And you just, as, as a regular citizen, wonder who's evaluating this. How do you see a season playing out? And then the second question is from someone who actually played in the league and understand how injuries work, injuries and you know engine reserves and rosters and the fact that guys are going to have to quarantine all that type of stuff. How do you see a season happening this year in the NFL? I don't. I mean, yeah. I can kind of answer both of them
2: at once. I mean, I I, I don't know how they do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the that's the first thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're talking eighty. I guess they're talking about eighty man rosters now, and you've got thirty two teams. Um, you're already starting with twenty four hundred guys, and then. You know, you've got staff, you've got coaches, you've got trainers, you've got media, you've got, like, all these different elements. It's impossible to do a bubble. Can't do a bubble. Mm No. There's no No way for an NFL. Too many people. You're quarantined, right? Are you going to quarantine guys away from their families? Are you going to mandate that their families don't go anywhere? Mm -hmm. Hey, we live in New Orleans. We play in New Orleans. We travel to and from. Mm -hmm. We come back home, are we to be expected that our families can't go shopping? They can't go out to eat? They can't intermingle with other families? Like what, like what exactly are gonna be the mandates? Mm-hmm. And then what happens if a Russell Wilson or a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady, or yeah. what if they get COVID? Yeah. What, what, do, you, what do you do then, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the margin for error in the NFL is so small. Something like that happens can impact your entire season. What if he gets it and before he tests positive, uh, tests positive? Are they going to be testing guys every single day? Like that's another. That's another thing. Um, I, I, like I just, I honestly don't know how they do it. I know that the NFL, as I guess, you finance forward as they are, uh, they're going to do everything they can to play. And 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 I said, I think I tweeted it the other day. And that includes sacrificing the players. Like, yes. these, The owners aren't going to be the ones putting themselves in harm's way.
0: Like, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: They're not showing up yeah. to practice every day. I would imagine they're not flying to all the games now. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. mm-hmm. The owners are the ones that reap the benefits of the NFL, regardless yeah. of what anybody says. I know Patrick Mahomes just signed a $450 million deal, but the person that's going to see that most of that is the Hunt
1: family. Like, mm-hmm.
2: it, like, they have solidified basically their franchise for the next 10 years, 12 years, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. So it's, it's about the bottom line. It's not about protecting players. It's not about player safety. It's about doing whatever they can because nothing has stopped them before. COVID didn't yeah. stop the NFL draft. COVID didn't stop free agency. So why would they think that COVID is going to stop football? Yeah. I think it's going to take, they might go to training camp. I mean, they might, they're supposed to go at the end of this month. They yeah. might, they might play a preseason game or two. They might even play a couple games in a regular season. I just don't see how they get through an entire season without either so many guys getting infected, them having to shut it down, or the government shutting it down because mm-hmm.
0: it becomes a COVID cesspool. Okay. Let me ask this real, okay. real quick, real go quick, ahead. V. Is, well, actually, go ahead, V, because I'm going to ask about college. Go ahead, V.
1: Okay. I was going to say, what impact do you think that that's going to have as as a former player for the players, right, and the people who are in the NFL, to lose a season, right? Because the NFL, as they always say, is not for long already. To lose a full year in your prime or someone like Brady, who's at the end of his career, what do you think the challenges are going to be for the players if there is no season?
2: Well, you're already seeing the impact of it even before anything football-wise has happened, right? They had the the CBA negotiations this offseason, and it was a little bit contentious, and the, the players ended up giving in uh, as a result of a vote that went forward after it was put down by the executive committee, so somehow, some way, the players' association put the vote for the new CBA to the to the entire body of the players. Well, with the new COVID rules, the rosters are going from ninety guys to eighty guys. So the bottom ten guys on every roster times thirty-two—that's three hundred twenty guys. I would imagine. Those guys are the guys that went pro new CBA because in that CBA, the the owners snuck in a small salary increase for minimum players. The minimum players are going to be the bottom 10 guys,
3: right?
2: (laughs) So So the owners win again based off of the little nuances that they put in there that a lot of times the guys don't really read thoroughly. Oh, I'm making extra money? Yep, I'm all for it. Don't worry about what's going to happen to former players' benefits or what's, you know, all these different things. That's another conversation. Um, But but I do think that a player in his prime losing a year could go one of two ways. It could be great, right? A guy could miss a whole year and get his body back 100% physical. Or guys that have had surgeries, they can just feel good again. They can train and they can take less reps off of their arms or less reps off of their legs Mm -hmm. and they can feel good. But a guy that's trying to make it, that's going to be bad. Um, It could be because there's going to be another crop of young guys the next year. And it's going to be harder for those guys to get an opportunity. Not that they can't play, but to get another opportunity, it's going to be tough. And I mean, obviously for the guys on the last leg, it's it's it is dramatic. I mean, they might not get another opportunity. Obviously, Brady and Breeze will get an opportunity. But but an older guy that's an older minimum salary guy might not because a younger, cheaper guy. Would, would just come in and take his spot. But I, I think safety should be paramount, yes. right? You shouldn't be worried about playing football when
0: there's people dying still. Yes. Like, so let me ask this, There's a this, lot of this, people still dying. Because there's, an, there's even, so, and I think that's even probably more true, and you I think you would probably agree, in college, right? Because college guys are even a leather layer lower, so to yes. speak, where they're not getting paid they don't have any necessarily any recourse, um, and so they it's it's a different risk for them that they should be assuming. Uh, if you're going to you're going to make 30, twenty million in a season and you want to take that risk, I'm not. Even though you can still spread it to other people, I, that's a different risk than someone going in like, you know, who's not paid who's just playing for a scholarship. What are your perspectives on that in terms of college football, uh, and and whether or not we see a season there, and what do you think should happen there? I think it's unfortunate
2: because there's nobody to protect college football players, right? College football players don't have agents, they don't have a union, and we've already seen coaches like Mike Gundy and others basically saying we got to get back, we got to stimulate our economy. Basically, saying they don't give a damn about the players, they care about what the players can do for them and those around them, like that's which is crazy to me. Like that, yeah. it, 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 like they, there. I wish there was a, a college football players union. But, but you mm-hmm. know what? The NCAA, NCAA is just like the NFL. They're about this. Like, that's mm-hmm. what's important to them. Mm-hmm. It's it's out with the old and with the new, and they're going to keep the machine going. It's, it's just right. now that people are speaking out, and, and it's becoming important that, college players are finally able to monetize their name, which is <laughs> insane to me. Like, at Toledo, they used to sell my jersey. I never saw any money from that. Yeah, but right. that was my jersey. I, I made that I'm jersey. Not sure not.
1: they sold that right. number, right?
2: Right, right. 100%. It didn't have my name on the back, but it didn't take a brain you know, brain surgeon to look up who number one was at Toledo. Like, right. it's very yeah. easy. So yeah. it's, I, I think it's going to be harder for college football because the, the conferences – aren't necessarily all in sync. The NFL right. is one entity, right? Mm-hmm. There's, if, if the NFL is playing, there's not one team that's going to not play. Whereas, right. like, the SEC could potentially say, well, we're going to play our conference schedule. And the Big Ten could say, well, we're not playing, which I think mm-hmm. would be even worse. I think right. they should all be on the same accord. If, if one isn't playing, they all shouldn't play. And I think yeah. they should err on the side of safety more than anything. Like, if you've mm-hmm. got to give these guys an extra year of a scholarship, then so be it. Well, you know, a guy yeah. that... Yeah.
1: Go ahead. If it's a guy that that is going to be a pro, let yeah.
2: let him go pro anyway, right? Like they, they're worried of, they're worried about paying an extra year of scholarship when the money that they're making specifically in football they have the money to do it. Like I don't I, right. I, I don't know. So
1: yeah, ahead, I mean, man. and that and that's that also is one of those things when you talk about they care about themselves first. I think the re, part of the reason that some of these big programs are fighting to make sure our college football season in some what happens is what you just touched on. What happens next year when Justin Fields becomes draft eligible, right? Is he going to come back to Ohio State or is he going to go pro? You know, a lot of these schools, same thing at Clemson. A lot of these guys are in their final years. And I think these programs, they're so scared of losing the money that these big time players like Trevor Lawrence, what, what value does Trevor Lawrence create for the Clemson program that they lose when he leaves, right? Yeah, you might be able to replace him. But that's my fear and how they're evaluating these things is, although they're saying, like you said, it should be safety first. But everyone's thinking about all these other things that they may never bring up to us, the public, but they're talking about in the back rooms.
0: Well, and that's also what exposes, it exposes the business of yep. college football. Let's stop playing around. Let's stop acting like this is just amateurism and guys are just you know, going for scholarships and let's go cheer on the team. It's like, no, this is big business. And it's not just big business for the program, but it's also big business for these institutions because a lot of money that they make from these big programs, they use for many other things in their institutions, including funding other sporting programs, which a lot of them you're starting to see close down. And I think this is starting to expose this farce that these are collegiate scholar athletes. This is big business. This is pros. I don't care what you want. To, it may not be the NFL, but this these these are pros. Yep. And they're generating billions of dollars. So let's stop the whole farce. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this plays out this season. Because people are going to have to come to grips with a lot of rea- reality. And they're going to have to make admissions that they haven't been forced to make. For example, if you send those guys out there, that means that you're essentially admitting that this is all about money. Because you know that it's to- not safe. You know that yep. it's not safe. You know that they can get it easily. You know you can't socially distance or wear a mask or do any of the recommendations that are coming from the people that we all. You
1: literally are breathing on each other every play, right?
0: There's no way. So if you do that, that means that you're saying, "Listen, this—the the money of this and, and the entertainment value of this is more important to us than the player safety." So anyway. Yep. We could probably talk about that forever, but I want to get you out of here. So we're going to ask you two fun questions. I didn't prepare you for these ones, and then we'll let you go. Um, So my first question is, give us your top five musicians of all time. Top five musicians that influenced you and and your life.
2: Top five musicians. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: Like I always, I always,
2: at least growing up, like I always said like 90s R&B was like my favorite yeah. Genre of music, you know, yes, kind of mid
3: yes. to, things, to early 2000s that.
2: Um man, I mean Drake, Drake is my favorite artist, period, of all okay. time. Okay. My guy. Uh like my my best friends and I are all like big Drake heads or whatever. Okay.
3: Um like you your, I, life I, to your I, brother.
2: 100 <laughs> percent You know, like my my, my my mulatto brother, yeah, for sure. Right right, <laughs> um, right, right, right. Drake for sure. Um shoot, man. we grew up listening to michael jackson um his music i feel like timeless um obviously he had some other issues that are (laughs) that are scary and 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 as a father are very frightening Mm. um but his music was classic but it was right um that's too um i mean i've I've been a big jay-z fan forever Mm -hmm. um somebody who's who's aged in the rap game well Right. Um, and still, you know, when he wants to, can, can, can jump on anybody's track and kill it. Right. Uh, I just remember, like, my senior year, Jagged Edge. Like, Jagged Edge mm-hmm. was like, Jagged Edge was like it. So I would say, like, yeah. definitely influenced me, like, with the dancing and everything right. as I got to the NFL. Like, that was, like, around the time that I started kind of – Coming into my own uh, with with the self confidence and and dancing at parties and stuff like that. So like, there's a, you know that's part of the reason why I ended up dancing in the NFL. Right. Um. um who else, man? I'm a huge fan of John Legend. Okay. <laughs> like I I, I Ohio I enjoy, boy
1: Ohio yeah, boy.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I I enjoy listening to John Legend and and uh, love his wife. Um, yeah. She is she is she shoots it to you straight. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, That's fine. That was fine. I obviously That's didn't cool. have time. If if I had time to prepare, I might have had a different list. But Drake right. definitely would have been on. Definitely would have been number one on the list. <laughs> so all right, B.
1: And this one might be a little bit easier for you. Your top five athletes.
2: Top five athletes, um, all time: all time. Uh, Michael Jordan, um, Kobe Bryant. I'm a, I'm a Kobe guy through
0: and through. Um,
1: Rest in peace.
0: LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Uh, basketball, basketball so far. I mean, those are my
2: guys. Uh, yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Deion Sanders, okay. I think, um, and probably Bo Jackson.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's um, nice cause,
2: cause when I think a- when I think athletes, I think you know you gotta you gotta weigh in athleticism, not not right. just the success. Like Tom Brady, Tom Brady is an all time great athlete, but he's not that athletic. So, I understand what you're saying. if you say decorated athletes,
0: Tom Brady's right up there, you know, with the well, Michael Jordan. Name probably could have played a different sport, you know, than the yeah. one that they played, you know. So I feel 100%. 100%. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Some of them did. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, three of them did, right? Three of them did. And LeBron, we know he could have played tight end in the league. First of all, I guess that's do you think LeBron could have played tight end in the league and been successful or receiver?
2: I mean, I, I think receiver, he's so big. Like, I, I think he would have been, he would have gotten killed. Like his legs, his legs would have, his knees for sure would have been done. Because nobody's hitting it. He's too tall to hit up top. So they have to hit, they have to chop that tree down every time. I think he would have, he would have been better suited at tight end. But I mean, it's a whole different ball game out there now. Like I don't care how, I don't care how
0: big he is now. like, it gets physical in the NBA, but it don't. It doesn't get as physical as it does in the NFL. It's a different mentality so, I, too. I remember somebody somebody telling me that they feel like if to play football, you have to be a little crazy. Like everybody's got to be a little bit crazy to play football. Yeah. for sure, for sure. And he, and he might have that in him. I mean,
2: he was an right. All State
0: receiver in high school. So he said right.
2: he wasn't. A, they, they actually didn't a let him.
1: They didn't let him play his senior year for that reason, right? Because yeah, of the injury. Right. Too dangerous.
0: Yeah, too dangerous. Lance, man, this has been really, really good, man. Seriously, I uh, I appreciate it. I know V appreciates it. We appreciate your voice on twitter um keep going man obviously you know you you're very outspoken i think that's very important at this point in time that everybody kind of finds their voice uh this has been a, again like i said a great interview thanks for joining us on the pilot boys podcast Excellent. Thanks, for Take real. care. Yeah. love the pilot boys podcast support us on patreon supporters can pledge as little as one dollar and we have some cool perks on there check out www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast Show us some love today. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Time to hit some news and notes. V, you ready? Let's get it. Let's jump right into it. Patrick Mahomes just got a big, big bag. I think uh, we all expected that to come. There's nothing really surprising there. Maybe the number is a little bit. I guess the question is, you know, why sign now? You know, there's going to be more money probably in the future. You know, n- you know, why sign this 10 year extension now, knowing what could potentially become in the future.
1: Well, a couple of things on that. One, I think more than anything, this is a a symbol of what a good relationship is, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think Patrick Mahomes has had some injury concerns, yep. wanted to guarantee his future. And the Chiefs also wanted to guarantee that he would be the quarterback for a long, long time down the road so that they knew that this is going to be the centerpiece of their franchise for as long as he remains an NFL player. Um and so I think for both sides this ended up working out very well and also you know when you break down this deal in the first three years I think Mahomes is only getting I hate to say this word only Mm -hmm. he's only getting 28 million a year right Mm -hmm. it's down the line where those numbers hit so I think it also allows them to continue to compete during this time period where they have all this talent to continue to win and compete for Super Bowl so overall the deal made a lot of sense and it's it's a team a franchise that loves a player and a player that loves clearly loves the franchise and likes what they're doing, and as we know with NFL contracts, you know four or five years down, they could tear this thing apart. but what I like about this deal is they essentially the chiefs are guaranteeing a big portion of this deal as long as he's he's on the roster so i, I yeah I, love I mean I think from both sense. sides
0: and it makes sense again, like you said, the injury concerns i mean that always You know you realize how quickly you can be out of this league and it's a lot harder to negotiate I don't care how good you are when you're injured than when you're not speaking of actually injured quarterbacks let's move on to Cam Newton Cam Newton kind of called out the Panthers uh essentially for replacing him and uh you know what are your thoughts on Cam really and 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 I guess I guess as it pertains to him going to New England now and the the Panthers kind of moving on for him from him what are your what are your feelings about it
1: I think Cam is a Person that is supremely confident in himself mm-hmm. and knows who he is, right? Mm-hmm. And I think throughout times, he's rubbed me the wrong way. He's probably rubbed you the wrong way at different times, but he doesn't give a shit, right. you know? Um, and, and you you kind of love that about him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for the first time in his career, he was, I mean, he, he went through his issues of Florida, but it wasn't because of his football talent, right? Right. This is the first time in his career that someone who's superhuman is being questioned right right? um there's a guy who won the mvp in 2015 to see what the panthers did to him and how they did it to him obviously had to write light a fuel under his under him right (laughs) right a fire under his ass and i think there's nothing wrong with with how he's approaching it and i think the nfl if he's healthy and he's got this chip on the shoulder. We saw what he can do.
0: Yeah, and, he and he didn't have a ton of weapons that year. He went fifteen and one either. So, yeah Bill's gonna make him successful. Uh, we already know that they're gonna figure out what he's best at, and that's what he's gonna be doing in that offense. So, uh, I hope that there's a season first of all, and that there's that he's healthy, and that um, and that we see that. But I'm very excited to see how that plays do you, out.
1: Do you, Do you think the Saints would do this to Drew Brees? Do you think? The Patriots would have done it at this point, right? Age thirty-one, one injury after all, giving all this to the team. No. Do you think they would do this too?
0: No, and and the thing is, is it almost makes it seem as though like the reason why they're not having success is because of Cam. You know, yeah. it's just just which is crazy. And you know, when you talk to play, we've talked to actual players on that team yeah. who will tell you like, "Yo, this dude is a," you know, "we need him." You know, so it's not yeah. like everybody's like, oh, we all hate Cam." So you know, but that is that is kind of. Somewhat the nature of this business, yeah. Um, you know, people they kind of did something similar like that to Peyton Manning, even though he was a little bit older. But you know, that's just the nature of this business, and particularly that position. A lot of times we see guys move on. So I hope he does have success. Speaking of football, um, let's, let's talk about the Redskins and the Redskins are actually are back in conversation, basically for their name, the Redskins, and you know the, the racist history of of that, and um, people are protesting, and now. You know the road the, the redskins and snyder's have kind of held on to this position that they're never changing it and i think they even said in 2013 we'll never change it or something like that yeah and now many big retail retailers um nike and some other ones have joined the title before. sponsor
1: fedex too
0: fedex are pulling the products and now there's released a statement that they're doing a thorough investigation or a thorough look into the name um which has sparked other conversations, even in Cleveland, right? And we're, we're in Cleveland Indians fans, so to speak. And that's now also another conversation. Terry Francona has been pretty vocal about it as well, about whether they should get rid of that name. What are your thoughts kind of on the the, the bigger picture of this thing uh, as it pertains to some of these sports at, um, sports
1: teams and their names? I mean, we talk about this all the time. People aren't just going to ch- change things out of their, the kindness of their heart. Mm-hmm. Um and Dan, Sy- Dan Snyder is a... I don't dislike a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I dislike everything about this guy and mm-hmm. how he's run the franchise. And despite failing, he bought the team for $800 million. The team is worth $3.5 billion. Right. So right. that kind of tells you why there's never been an incentive for him to change the name. The only thing that he had was his conscience, and he didn't care enough right. um, to change that. But now you're seeing that the pressure, people are saying, well, why are people protesting? Why are people doing all this? Well, we're seeing some results now, right? Mm-hmm. Without all of these protests happening and all of this outrage happening, this conversation, we wouldn't be having it. Yeah. And that pressure is what led FedEx and Nike and all mm-hmm. these corporate sponsors. We have to ask the question, where were you 10 years ago? They were still mm-hmm. the Redskins 10 years ago. It's mm-hmm. For years and decades, it's been... It, it's been identified as a racial slur, an actual mm-hmm. slur, right? And you still continue to use this name, and yeah. and now we're seeing that the only way change happens in capitalism is the money is threatened.
0: The yeah, and, money
1: is being threatened.
0: Well, and that's the and that's the other thing too is that, you know, I guess from the kind of quote unquote moral side of it, right? Is yeah. you ask yourself, okay, just because something has been longstanding for years decades does that mean that it's right does it mean that's good does it mean that it was ever right and does that mean that it always has been yeah it's, does it doesn't mean that's always entitled to stand and the answer is obviously no it's not mm-hmm. just because something has been standing even for 100 years does not mean that it should have been there it could have just been the decision of one person and that doesn't yeah. mean that's not representative necessarily of society um so I think it is important that we come to grips with, and not just in this context, but we come to grips with the history of certain things, and we and yeah. we start putting pressure on people to come to grips with stuff. And you know, there might be some silly things that that um, get caught in the crossfire, right? That like the master bedroom thing, and you know, in Texas, and they're not going to call it the master bedroom anymore in the real estate. It's like, I mean, it's not really what we're asking for, but you know, so some some silly things may get caught in the crossfire, and maybe it's yeah. not so silly,
1: but yeah, and specifically, specific. Go ahead, go ahead, no, finish.
0: No, and I was just going to say, but it is important that we come to a reckoning with all these things. And we can't just say, oh, because this has been something that we've loved and we've known for years, that that makes it right and makes it acceptable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've personally had a lot of trouble with the Cleveland Indians name, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's just, I don't have the benefit of being ignorant as an Indian American and actually experience this. I have mm-hmm. Cleveland Indians hats, right? Mm-hmm. But just, it's comical, Like, the name is based on a complete falsity, right? Right, Like, Columbus, Columbus, Christopher Columbus, who I have, who discovered the wrong place and called it India. Like, Mm -hmm. this isn't India. So to continue to embrace a name like that and fight for it, like Mm -hmm. the organization has had, is like, you're being racist against multiple groups with that name, right? Right, And it's like, what are you doing? And, And in the case of the Redskins, it's like, you guys could really use a rebrand for how you've performed on, on the field the last twenty years or so. Maybe a rebrand could help your franchise too.
0: Yeah, no point. To, no point to be sticking that hard to a name. Let's talk about uh, some college stuff, man. So there's a, a former Penn State player. His name is Rasir Bolton. He's now a standout guard at Iowa State. He says that he left Penn State because the uh, Penn State coach Pat Chambers inappropriately inappropriately used the phrase "noose" that's around your neck. Uh, and some type of conversation that he had with Bolton um, the coach has actually admitted to using that and saying that phrase and that, you know, obviously caused a lot of discord. And one of the things that he had mentioned was that he had brought it to the attention of a, lot, a number of different people. And it wasn't necessarily taken seriously. And the reason why this story kind of caught me, I mean, there are tons of stories like yeah. this right now, but the reason why this one particularly caught me is because we had our uh, second call for the big 10 anti-hate, anti-racism coalition this week. And one of the students on that call spoke, a lot about the power, power dynamics, and and one of the things that he wants to see change the college level is accountability from coaches because coaches say and do a lot of different things, and yeah, um, and we've had this conversation in other contexts because there's no union, there's no really, there's not really anybody out there to protect these players from this. Sometimes they have no recourse when they're going through uh, tough situations or you know racist situations or different things that are happening, uh, and that's why this one kind of caught my attention. Uh, I thought that was a very interesting thing. What are your thoughts on not necessarily the specific incident, but just kind of that kind of that line of thinking in terms of what do we do for these young guys who are experiencing this stuff?
1: I mean, we've got deep rooted problems in in sports, period, with the power structure between players and coaches. And it, it always happens when you put some, give somebody that type of power over someone. But the type of things, you know this, you you played sports, I played sports, the type of things that coaches and people in the program try to use to motivate players mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sometimes they will say racist shit just because yep. they want they think that it's somehow going to give the player a rise, and yep. when you're playing football, you're supposed to be tough and mm-hmm. be able to handle anything. If I say this to right. you, a player in the stands is going to say this to you, no, it right. doesn't it doesn't you can motivate a player and you can motivate them without stooping to those levels of disrespect, yeah right and i think there's this this idea that it needs to be changed and i'm glad that the player is speaking up and and the conversation is happening um, within the big 10 specifically because this is this is centuries decades as long as sports has existed and, and black players and minority players have been on teams there have been problems with the disconnect between the white coaches and staff and the players and and I've had
0: year I've year. had I've had situations where I've seen, first of all, in the players that we've talked to. Yeah. Coaches say the craziest shit to them. I remember a player that he said, you keep playing like that, you're gonna go back to the ghetto. Yeah. And first of all, the kid wasn't even from the ghetto. That's the first thing <laughs> that was funny about it. But again, it's just the what am I supposed to do after that? Am I supposed to respect yeah. you after that? For the I mean, yeah. am I supposed to play hard for you and help you succeed and you get a better job and more money? Like what am I what, and then what am I supposed to do? Am I going to go tell t- the AD? And then what's the AD going to do? Are they going to yeah. fire you? Like, no. So there is a big issue with accountability um, as it pertains to the power dynamics between college athletes uh, and uh, college players, particularly with, uh, again, there's no union. There's nothing. I mean, there's nobody to necessarily no,
1: You have them. a lot of power over these kids. You control whether they have a scholarship. You control whether they play. And exactly. if they don't have those opportunities you know that people say why why don't more players speak up because in college specifically everything is on the line mm-hmm. and you might want to speak out you might want to say something but the reality is is that what's going to happen you might get benched you might never get your opportunity if they don't like you or yep. you say something
0: and that's the fear so hopefully i think you know we just we have to keep trying to come up with solutions and also i think one thing that's happened through this period of time is that a lot of players have felt more power, even though yeah. they're not unionized. They feel, they feel the power of people behind them, and I think that's empowered them to do and say a lot yeah. of things, and these are good times to start fighting for specific changes. Um, let's move to uh, hockey. NHL and NHLPA, they've reached an agreement to resume play on August 1st. That's expected to be ratified by the Board of Governors. People are getting back to sports, man. I mean, the, the you know, I... The numbers are surging in certain states but there's data that maybe it's not as deadly but there's some data that's saying that there are more hospitalizations people are kind of interpreting however they want right i think people are using whatever data that they want to use to kind of get whatever result they're looking for but people are going to play i mean august 1st that's why we're on the corner
1: i think and i have to say this is i think america is very delusional as a country right now we've gotten so used to being Ever this branding of we're the best at everything. We have the best healthcare. But we have failed more than any other country in the world in controlling the coronavirus. And instead of embracing that, we continue to want to be delusional and think that everything is gonna get back to normal. And it's systemic, right? Like it's almost like we want people to be distracted. Who gives a shit? About the NHL right now, if there are a hundred thousand new cases of coronavirus in the state of Florida alone last week. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and 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 part of this is we have to, as a society and as as citizens, understand what's happening to us.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's great, yes, NHL fans will have a season and they'll get to play. But what happens if your favorite player gets COVID and your favorite players mom or dad. This happened with Carl Anthony Towns as a result. Mm-hmm. Right. Guys, yeah. right. Like, we're not taking this thing seriously. And I, I think, think that
0: some people have accepted that people are going to die. And it's a sinister way of looking at things, but people have accepted, listen, people are going to die. I have a greater chance of going outside and dying in a car accident. You know, they've, they've, they've come on to take on that rationale. And then again, I think like one of the things that you said is that Amer- Americans have become accustomed to certain things. and spoil, Right. Yeah and used to certain things. And then also that kind of live for the moment thing that I think yeah. is happening, where people aren't capable. They're like, cannot think five years down the line or 10 years down yeah. the line. They have to know, have their gratification right now. Yeah, uh, And I think that, that that's just led to what we're seeing now, man, people are gonna reopen, cases are gonna go up, and it's just gonna be something that we deal with. Despite the failed leadership, despite the failures of many, almost every single level, we're dealing with it the way we're dealing with it is because of that you know and um to
1: to continue to hear all these politicians from the top down say we're doing a great job no you're not Mm -hmm. you're not Mm -hmm. and i think a reflection of a, a great leader is when you accept that things aren't going as planned and you fix them take accountability like you said and i feel like we have no accountability when it comes to the, comes to this disease. And it's not surprising because we don't take accountability for a lot of things.
0: Well, that's interesting. So that's actually a good segue into the next thing. Cause I think they're related, you know, there's a, a huge surge in gun violence right now across the country. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously some of it is probably related to, you know, Corona. And some of it's probably related to just, you know, maybe just the pressure and tension, you know, the the protests, just the unrest in the in the city, and in, in every city and every state, and you know, obviously an increase in the amount of guns that have been sold, like unbelievably. I remember uh, talking to someone who works at one of these stores, and she had told me that typically on a typical day they would sell like five guns, and that um, but since Corona started, they were selling like almost ninety a day, you know. Yep. Um America has a gun problem, man, and. and People, I know there are people are on the other side and say, listen, it's not guns, it's people that kill, but Mm-mm. there's just, you can get a gun, a, a 10-year-old, five-year-old, a six-year-old can get a gun. I mean, it's just really easy to get a gun, and it just, I don't even know where to start. I, don't, I actually don't even really know where to start in that conversation, to be honest.
1: Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, that the violence is oftentimes blamed. If we're going to really address this problem— like you said, you have to think beyond what's in front of your face. Mm-hmm. America is got more gun violence than any other country in the world. People are dying every day. You can get a gun without any training, without, without anything. You can go to the store and buy a gun without ever having shot a gun before. Mm-hmm. Understanding that this is a weapon that can actually kill mm-hmm. someone and that that's what it's for is the core of our problem in america and like you said about the people who say well it's protected in the constitution okay well a lot of things are protected in the constitution does it mean that every single person should own a gun without any real process that you go through like even in a country like india i know this unless you actually are a hunter or a soldier you cannot own a gun you know, and, and
0: it's, a, it's a culture that, that, that we've allowed to exist and it's, it's really hard to undo, especially when you have lobbyists, big, powerful lobbyists and people who are, you know, people who are in government, who are proponents. It's just, I don't, I don't necessarily see it going anywhere. Um, I mean, I think the best thing that can happen is concessions, maybe on background checks and, you know, if you have a history of mental health and all that type of stuff. But Why,
1: why, that why, that why, stuff. why are there three guns for every American? And why have there been 2.1 million guns sold since the outbreak? When people are going through, you know, people are dealing with more mental health issues and depression and other things that could trigger violent behavior. Yeah. Why would you push more guns into society if you're a responsible society? Mm
0: -hmm. I don't even know where to where to end on that. But let's 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 move on from that. We just, I mean, at this point, we just gotta pray. I guess I don't know. Yeah. But let's talk about some other stuff that's happened in pop culture. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, who's, you know, Jeffrey Epstein's former associate, Madam, I don't even know what to call her.
1: Fixer, everything, all the above.
0: She's finally been arrested. It looks like she's, uh, you know, the reports are coming out that she's going to squeal, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I think she's been moved to the federal New York prison, the same one that Epstein hung himself in. Uh, The fact that there's evidence out here that, or there's reports out here that she's going to, talk and she's going to name big names means that her safety is obviously in danger i don't expect anything to come out i don't expect her to speak before she's quote-unquote suicided i hate to say that be sinister about it but that's how i feel about the situation I
1: mean, power and money um move silently when they're doing wrong right Right. um and i think there are a lot clearly a lot of powerful people who have a lot to lose that don't want anything to come out and thought that right. she, she would never speak. One of the things that I read was that she thought that she was going to be protected by some of these powerful people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very, it is very interesting, the fact that she was still an American arrested, right? So right. it's hard to trust anything with that story, and we don't know yeah. how it's going to play out. But at the end of the day, if she did these things that she's being accused of, again, she has the right to defense, then, you know, Whatever happens to her, I'm not. I'm not going to lose any sleep over.
0: Right. I think the bigger thing is that people want to see justice for the other people who are involved. Yes. Uh, and the big, big, some of the other big names. Um, let's talk about some other stuff. Let's some other corruption, right? So, like the story's coming out now, I think that the, somebody, the government has released who have all gotten these like Paycheck Protection Loans from the government. They're supposedly supposed to be small business loans. And on the names of people who are getting these, I mean, you're talking about politicians, politicians' families, Trump associates, Nancy Pelosi's husband has been named, Kanye, Floyd Mayweather. Um, There were, you know, I mean, I remember the Lakers. I mean, I mean, it's a ton of people. Um, And it just seems as though, I mean, it seems pretty clear that that could not have possibly been the intention of this when it was laid out. And so I guess I have two questions. One is, do you view the politicians? And we even know people personally who we're friends with, who are millionaires who got these loans, right? So yeah. it's, it's not just some people we don't know. Do you do you view the politicians' ones and their associates? Do you view those differently than corporations? And I guess as the corporations' one, is it just business as usual, or capitalism as usual? If, if whatever available, you got to try to get it. Um, and is this more? Is this more on the people who wrote these? wrote the you know opportunity wrote out the law and wrote out the requirements is it more on them or or should we expect these big corporations to have some type of moral conscience when it comes to this
1: um not the corporations you know they're going to apply and they're going to try this is the system we've built Mm -hmm. you know amazon doesn't pay taxes because they can afford the lawyers and the accountants to work around the laws right um in, in a lot of ways that's that's glorified in capitalism, right um, um is is taking advantage of every advantage um, that's presented to you now, in terms of the politicians who wrote this wrote this stimulus package and set the parameters up, obviously they were under a lot of pressure, and there was going to be some leaks and some some people taking advantage of the situation, but I do think you know. We know that politicians in every country, politics in every country and governments in every country are riddled with corruption. In America, we just don't see it um, and hear about it as much or as often because it's not popular for us to talk about it or for society to, to understand it. The fact that you're seeing politicians on both sides, like Nancy Pelosi's husband, like are you really fighting for the people like you're saying as a democrat you're fighting for the the middle class and lower class while your 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 husband is getting millions of dollars in loans and Mitch McConnell's wife who happens to be the secretary of transportation is getting loans for her personal businesses like these are things that I'm happy are being broadcast and are absolutely wrong right it's like that's the unfortunate but the unfortunate reality in capitalism is that the rich always get richer and the poor always get poorer because that's the way that the system is set up for a small number of people at the top to have the money. Uh We got some technical difficulties. You're back, yeah, you're back. That. Yeah, I Sorry. I gonna that's have to that. do a solo, solo no, show. Nah.
0: no, you're doing good. I, I can hear you, but I didn't know if you could hear me. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. I think, I think from the business perspective, um we have been trained as capitalists to kind of to go it go for whatever yeah issue of the business you know so that means that people who drafted this drafted these and the requirements are the ones who are really to blame if this is supposed to be for small businesses then there are ways that you can easily put things in there
1: i mean you're a lawyer. You're you're a lawyer, right? And you you went through this, and even the loan process. It's very confusing unless you understand it. The people who understand it the best are the people who are going to reap the most benefit. And who are the people that can can understand it the best, or the people who can pay the money to have the people in place to understand how to apply for the loan? Some small right. business. You hear me, I can yeah. hear you, but I can't see okay. you.
0: Okay, cool. I don't know what's going on. Uh, my phone keeps ringing and it's kind of interrupting. But yeah. um, but oh, yeah, yeah, I mean there there are fixes to these things, and you know um, you know, but it makes you wonder, man. Like, wh- what was this done for? Who was behind it? Why was it ever even written like this? You know, um, yeah. So that's just the the nature of the business. Um, couple couple more things. Let's talk about some music real quick. Uh, Fifty Cent versus Ti. So. T.I. essentially said, like, trying to challenge 50 to a versus battle, he said that you could even bring Dre and Eminem with you. (laughs) And 50 responded, like, this guy must have been, you know, must have been high off the same lead that they gave Chris Tucker on Friday or whatever. And so it's kind of a little funny thing. But uh, T.I.'s got hits. People don't realize it, especially if you could just play versus and features. T.I. has got hits but once you start adding Dre and em, that's a different fight I think T.I. versus
1: 50 could be I a mean if game. you if you if you calculate outside of I mean 50 was the king right literally the the recognized king but T.I. Right. probably has more hit records than he does yeah. overall and yeah. in terms of longevity multiple albums mm-hmm. that people say are, are great and mixtapes and he had mixtapes too for days so I mean TI right. sometimes I wish TI would just rap and not speak publicly <laughs> sometimes <Yeah. laughs> but as a rapper yeah, sure. he you can he can put in I wouldn't be intimidated going up against anyone no he.
0: not anyone not anyone I agree with you completely and like I said if, especially if you're including features and, and verses yeah. Then yeah I mean TI's got tons of stuff what uh, about speaking of 50 what about Pop Smoke it's Pop Smoke's album it just kind of got released 50 was I think he's an executive producer on it
1: yeah, I think he helped put it together.
0: Um, yeah, he really helped put it together. What are your thoughts on it, man? It's it's so sad. Every time I hear Pop Smoke, I'm just like, man, what this guy could have been. I love his voice. I love this charisma. You know, I never know. I don't know what situations he had going on behind the scenes and what beefs he had going on behind the scenes and what ultimately ultimately led to his being killed. But uh, he seemed like a talented dude that i uh, I like to hear from.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, I, I haven't gotten a chance to really go through the album. And I think... I don't like i don't want to analyze what he was going to be right mm-hmm. i think all we can say is this is a guy whenever somebody unique comes on the scene in music and hip-hop that's bringing something that's different you have mm-hmm. to pay attention right um and i think that's the case with pop smoke right yeah it's like he was so unique um i liked a, a couple of the records really liked a couple of records i've heard from him right. other records I didn't get, but I understood the energy. I think people in New York were saying this is the next DMX. Right. And I was like, oh, 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 hold on. (laughs) We don't know yet. But I think it's just
0: because the voice, the raspiness of them, and and the rawness in the voice. And
1: it's very unfortunate when we we lose a talent that had so much potential who is just scratching the surface. I'm looking forward to listening to the album. Um, So far, it seems like the reviews are great, and people are saying that it's. It's definitely uh an amazing album. I don't know how much you've listened he's a new York i haven't, I
0: haven't really got a chance to listen to it. I've heard a couple songs. I'm definitely going to listen to it though because I, I believe in him uh as an artist and I think that you know with you know fifty behind it I think fifty's gonna make sure there are certain types of hits on there and stuff like that so I'm interested in definitely checking that out um one other one other thing i I want to get to before we get out of here uh is McCourt maker um I believe that's how you pronounce his name, five-star basketball recruit who was being recruited by Kentucky, Duke, everybody, who decided to go to Howard University. This is not the first story we've heard of this, of this like this. There Actually, it's not something that we should necessarily look at as an isolated incident. It is part of a movement um, behind the scenes, in case people don't know, where a lot of people behind the scenes are trying to push some of these young athletes to go to HBCUs and to start saying, listen, if we're not gonna be paid, then let's start making money, make generating this money for some of our institutions and help build up our build up our institutions this way. If you're a star, you're a star whether you go to Duke or whether you go to Howard. What do you think about that? Is this real? Is this real or is this something for the moment and you know are, are, are do you know the predominantly white institutions are they going to be threatened by this what how serious of a, of a deal is this
1: you know we've talked It's this is a very interesting conversation right mm-hmm. because we've talked to parents and athletes who basically have said why wouldn't we send our kid to an HBCU the issue is that are the HBCUs and their athletic programs in a position to help our our son succeed because the yeah. goal of any star athlete is to utilize that opportunity in college to go to the next level, mm-hmm. right? So, first of all, I think it's, it's great that he's making this decision, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the fact that he made this decision, it's a responsibility of Howard University to make sure to take advantage mm-hmm. in the best way they possibly can right. to produce a competitive product on the court. Recruit other players because if you get him, you should be able to get other players, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the psychology and the mentality that these young kids are starting to take, which is if you're not going to look out for my people, I'm going to look out for my own people. Wait, I'm here's the thing my platform. And I think LeBron is actually in basketball specifically, a lot of this credit is due to LeBron James and what he's shown a lot of these young players about how much power they have and what, what empowering your own people can do to to close that divide that we have in society.
0: And when you look at this arms race, this is essentially what I call it, amongst all these big programs, right? To yep. see who can have the biggest and the best facilities, you got $600 million going into certain facilities and locker room, who has the best locker room and the player's lounge and all this other stuff, weight room. These are distractions that at the end of the day um, that are, well, first of all, it's resources um, that can help players become better, right? If you have a bigger and better weight room and yeah. you can pay pay your staff more money and, you know, you can attract the best talent, then you're going to be able to help groom these guys to become the best. But that is part of the advantage that they have. It's not necessarily that the coach at Howard is any less of a coach than the coach at Louisville, right? But a lot of times they don't have, like what you said, the resources. And this, to me, seems as though it's something that is going to help create Resources. If, if all of a sudden, because McCormaker and, let's say, another guy go to Howard, now all of a sudden Howard is getting TV deals and the MEAC and the Swack are getting TV deals to, um, to air these games, and that's bringing in revenue to the universities, that's only going to give them a leg up in terms of competing and yeah. being able to put money into recruiting and, and coaching and, and facilities and so on and so forth. So I do think, obviously, it's still early but I do think that this is something that we're going to start seeing a lot more of, particularly as guys are also able to start making money off of their name, image and likeness, which theoretically they can do anywhere. Um, And uh, I think that the advantages that some of these big institutions had and now have, especially for the top basketball players who only stay six months, a lot of times before they go, those advantages are starting to disintegrate. So I'm interested in following this story and seeing how it ends up. Um, And, you know, it's, it's good to see these young athletes empowering themselves and believing in something and using whatever leverage they have to kind of stand up for what they believe in.
1: 100%.
0: Yep. That's all we have for news and notes For listen to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Ondo Media here in Columbus has been working with us to keep the Pilot Boys in production during the pandemic as well as getting our YouTube videos going. It's all about telling your story to your audience. So give John at Ondo Media a shout. You can find all of their media consulting at OndoMedia.com. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guest, Lance Moore. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the hosts on Twitter, I am at Mechadon Music, and V is at Swant. And don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands and face masks at shop.pilotboys.com.
1: Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out! Let's go. Pilot Boys, we
0: get on up. We do fly, boys, we get up.